Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and this is Page Chewing, Episode 5 with P.L. Stewart. And we have the Avengers Assemble crew here <laughs> all over the world. Uh, so it's it's always great when we all, we can all get together and, and chat. So, uh, Zamil, you want to kick us off and tell us about yourself? Sure. I'm Zamil Aksar, the author of Gunmetal Gods. I live in Dubai. Um, yeah. That's it. And uh, Lana, you want to go next? I'm Lana from the booktube channel Law and Lullabies. And um, I'm in Australia. So it's like nine o'clock here at the moment. Um, but I'm originally from New Zealand. Yeah, that's me. And Taylor? Okay, so yeah, I'm Taylor from uh, the booktube channel, May Between the Pages. I live in Japan, just an hour before Lana. So, glad to be here. And of course, the co-host of the show is Mr. P.L. Stewart. Oh, it's a cutie. I think we're going to have a fifth, uh, a sixth Avenger joining us in the background with Lana. Oh, he's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm P.L. Stewart, and uh, I'm in Canada, so it's uh, 7 a.m. time here. But uh, as Steve has eloquently said, there there couldn't there isn't a, a group of people that's more worth getting up for than uh, than my five friends here. So thanks for having me. Honored to be here. Of course. And so this one was just a basically just an excuse to hang out. So <laughs> <laughs> pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, for Lana and Taylor specifically, oh, cutie, you must be must be getting tired. Um, so, I'm interested to hear how um, you two got started with the whole uh, booktubing thing. You know, I, I'm just amazed by by what you two do. I mean, you know, uh, for for Steve and I, who and obviously Steve's a booktuber as well, but you know, for me, I, I blog, I review books. But it's a, it would be a huge stretch for me to get to the point where I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to have a, a YouTube channel. So, um, you know, like how how did you guys get started doing something like that? I have wailing in the background, so Tyler, I'll let you go. First. Okay, I was going to say, do you want to do rock paper scissors? But that settles it. All right. <laughs> uh. That's a good question. It's been a little while. Also, my chair is creaky, so if you hear creaking, sorry about that. But um, how did I get started? Well, I was kind of a lurker at first on BookTube. So uh, when it, the first catalyst was actually when I came to Japan because brick and mortar stores weren't a thing here. So I was always a reader, but I always just kind of read in my own kind of world. Um, my friends in real life weren't really readers, but I had access to books wherever I wanted. And then when I came here, English books, there's not a market for them at all. And so I found myself kind of like with this hole in my life that I, I didn't expect. So I just, I, I don't remember what review I searched, but I searched a review and someone came up and I was like, wait a minute. I think it was like Emma, Emma books. I think she was still really, really big, but a, re a review of a book came up and I was like, this exists. And then I found out about Goodreads and then there was another, this exists moment. So, um, I was a lurker 
for quite a few years, just watched, didn't comment and things like that. And then I found that I would watch videos and yet it would leave me with something that I wanted to say. Um, and I'm not, I don't really like texting or typing. I'm more of like a verbal person. So I was like, well, if I'm going to say these things, I think it would be better to just create a platform where I can say what I want to say. So, uh, I ended up, you know, the first one, the first booktube video I created was on my phone, terrible lighting, sitting in front of like five books. And I was like, I like reading. <laughs> and then I just kind of went from there. Um, so I was also, I, I started during a pandemic, so the pandemic, so the panini. So there were a lot of other people starting at the same time. And so I was really thankful that all of us wanted a community. So we all kind of followed each other. And it was, I think I was able to create a community or friends quicker than you usually could because all of us were starting at the same time. Um, so that really helped me as well, but uh, just kind of went from there. Hmm. Yeah. Are you good to go, Lana? Or do you still need to keep it on mute? She's still kind of whinging, but now it's about something different. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, I was very much like Taylor. I started out as a lurker, um, following quite big channels um, like Murphy and um, Emma's books as well, I think. And then like sort of just before I started, I was also watching um, Chloe's books as well. And because she's a, um, that's like the first sort of Australian booktuber that I saw. And I was like, oh, people are doing it on this side of the world. Um, and so, but I was much the same. I was just like, I kind of wanted to like throw in my five cents. But again, these are massive channels that have like tens of thousands of followers. And I didn't feel like that was sort of my place. But when the pandemic hit, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go out and buy like, 20 books and then just see whatever's happening because again it was the start of the pandemic everyone's going crazy there was no pasta no toilet paper and any of the shopping um grocery stores and the only people that i really know in my real life that read was my mom and my sister but they read more my sister reads like spiritual non-fictiony stuff and my mom reads like historical romance and PNR and that's really about it. And I was like, no, I want to like talk about fantasy and sci-fi and thrillers. And so I just decided that one day I would do a first video and see how it went. Um, and I didn't even have books in my background. I was sitting in my living room, like in front of the computer and my lounge was just behind me. It was horrible. It's not much better now. I need another bookshelf, but um yeah so that's how I started and then through that um again I found a community sorry excuse me um and um yeah I found so many more smaller booktube channels and made fast friends with them and I was like oh my goodness there is a whole nother side of booktube that I didn't even know about when I was just lurking because I only ever saw big channels referring to other big channels so that's all I knew but as soon as I posted something as a small channel 
I had so many more other small channels be like, hey, loved your video. So great to have you in the community. And I was just like, oh, who are these people? I want to be friends. And I have made so many good relationships and friendships through this community. It's been amazing. I recently, what, about three days ago, it was my two-year anniversary being on booktube so that was exciting um i still haven't done anything for it whoops um but yeah it's it's been amazing if it wasn't for the community i i honestly wouldn't be here i've thought so many times about like i'm always on the cusp of like do i want to create content or do i want to read for that content and reading more often than not wins out um so there have been so many times where i'm like oh should i just stop the channel and just go back to lurking and commenting and all of that sort of thing so um if it wasn't for the community i wouldn't still be here you guys saw my reactions while she was talking but i just want to second the idea that like small small channels that's where it's at for me as well like not that big channels aren't important they're very important to get the word out and i'm sure they have their own small community that they talk to outside of there but like when it comes to being inspired to continue making content especially when it's reading which takes time like so you have to take time to read in order to create the content it can feel like a lot but then if you post a video and i'm sure you know well Steve, you got all of us together. So you see the, the fruits of your labors often. But, you know, when when someone comments and says, that's exactly what I was thinking, or even just something small as like this video, you know, made me smile. I'm like, well, OK, well, now I can't stop, <laughs> you know, so those those interactions, the small things. I just wanted to to second that from Lana. So 100%. what is more of a what is more of a motivating factor when it comes to content? Is it that you want to read books that uh, you yourself want to talk about? Or is it more like, I want to read the books that everyone else is talking about in order to jump into the wider conversation? What is, what is more of a, like, uh, more of a motivator? So for me, originally, it was, I, I started from the back burner. So I was playing catch up with all these popular books that are on Bookshop. I got to the point where I was like, I'm never going to catch up with all of these books. And by the time I post a review with my like dodgy lack of lighting and like low budget production, I was like, no one's going to watch this. I'm kind of just wasting the time. And, and if I'm not a hundred percent passionate about it, like I'm not a great speaker anyway, like my editing takes so long because of the pauses and the arms and the like, weird goofy facials that I do um, but um I found the indie community I like because I started off I read I've always read romance like that's how I got into like when I got back into reading as an adult it was through romance and a lot of romance especially PNR are all indie like a lot of them are indie authors so from there, I was just like, are there fantasy indie authors? And so that's when I started looking for that. And then I was just like, oh, my goodness. And my mind was just blown. Yeah. And so that's what my channel mostly, um, where I want my channel to mostly focus. Like I've recently found that I like creating trailers for indies that don't have trailers. 
like again and like just learning as I go um I edit with Filmora and like free stock videos so there's like a massive limit to what I can do but I like it's fun and other than buying books it's like my way of saying thanks I really loved your book like so that's sort of where my focus is this year is doing that and reviewing indie stuff for the traditional stuff I'm like thousands of other people have done it I don't really care to do that I'll just do it on Goodreads and Amazon and there you go mate so yeah Yeah. I kind of have a similar origin story in like the catch-up thing so when I discovered booktube like I said, I was reading in kind of my own sphere. I didn't have other people that read in my life. So I kind of read what caught my eye. But then I saw everyone talking about the same series and, and things like that. And um, so I did try to play catch up for a while. But I also had an aha moment, <laughs> which was, um, I'm already going to like dig my own grave here, but the Raven Boy series. <laughs> so uh, that is huge. And I'm so happy for you if you love that. But I read that book and I was like, what the hell is everyone talking about? Like, I don't, I don't understand. And so I really pushed myself through the first book. And then I went to the library and got the second book because I don't know what possessed me. I got 10 pages into it. And I was like, why am I doing this? (laughs) What is the reason that I'm spending my time doing this? And I realized it was just because I had FOMO basically. And so that was my aha moment where I realized I don't have an issue with traditional publishing at all. You can see behind me, I have plenty of traditionally published books, but I'm only going to read the ones that interest me. So in the beginning, the motivation was more like to read what others are reading. And that's still part of it in the sense, like you want to be part of the, the culture, like what people are talking about. Um, Like just before this, I actually filmed a, a, a rant review for the second Crescent City book. (laughs) So spoilers for what's coming soon. But, you know, that's, you know, can't get bigger than that. But um, I want to credit Lana for this, actually, because she is the one who introduced me to Indy through her readathon that she does. So, like, I knew it existed, but I didn't, like, no, no, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And so it was through that readathon that, well, first of all, Lana and I have become friends that we have become. But, you know, I discovered Zamel's book and, you know, P.L. Stewart, your, you know, your book. Like, so I think recently in this year specifically, I've seen a shift more towards indie because I want to kind of get the word out more. And Steve is actually a big part of that too, um, because you always talk about books that I've had on my radar, but I've pushed back, you know, but then I hear you talk about them and I'm like, I think I don't need to push that back anymore. So I'm feeling a shift currently in what my motivation is, but my theory is that some of that shift comes from becoming comfortable with your channel because anyone who's first starting out i don't think they know what they want to do yet they see what's big and they're like well that's big so why don't i try that or oh i didn't like that so let me try that so i it's just my theory but i feel like when you first start a booktube channel you don't really know what you want yet but after you've had it for a year or two then you're kind of like oh okay this is something i enjoy this is a niche i want to focus on so I'm feeling that shift currently. And, you know, so I think it's a work in progress. But yeah, I would say it's a mix. To summarize, it's a mix, <laughs> the motivation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, and, and wow, that's fascinating. And I guess it's, 
for me, it's, I, I know for Zamil and I, again, we, you know, booktubers and bloggers, that's what, you know, they're the people that get our books out there. And we're so grateful for them. And that's, it's fascinating to hear how you two uh, got started. Um, it, it's, it's not all that dissimilar in, in some ways to writing. I mean, everyone has a different path to get there, but, you know, you, you kind of, you feel like you're fumbling around at first and, but there's something inside you that's saying, I need to do this. And that's very, sounds very similar to what, what Landon and Taylor are talking about. So I, I, and I, funny enough, I haven't asked Steve this, I, I guess, you know, yeah. Like, so Steve, to put you on the spot, how did, how did you get started? What, how did you, you know, how did you come to be Steve Talks Books? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I used to read, um, I used to read lots of comics, like lots of indie comics and uh, mostly like horror and, I didn't read the superhero stuff. I always read the stuff that was different, like the the stuff that most people didn't know about, or just kind of like the under the radar stuff that you can only find at certain places, certain CD places. You have to, you know that you have to knock on the door a certain amount of times, and the sled opens, and he has a keyword, and you have to know the right word. But so then I, uh, our family wanted to get Kindles, so we started looking at reviews for Kindles and what kind of Kindle should we get or whatever. And I ran into uh, book Mike's book reviews. Sorry, it's early, and. Uh, I didn't know that there was a thing people got on and talked about book, you know, talked about books and literature. And I've, I've been want, I had been wanting to get it more into novels and different types of books. So I thought, well, this is, this is cool. So I started watching his channel. And then of course you find the other big channels like you, Lana and Taylor had mentioned. So I just kind of felt like I was missing out and I started a channel, not, not knowing, I still don't know what I'm doing, but I knew even less then. And I think it's, uh, and of course I, I wanted to, you know, you hear about these big franchises and so that, well, I'll, I'll try these books that everyone's talking about. And then I, you know, I try like the first law, which is fine. It's, you know, it's good and everything, but so, well, it's fine, but I mean, I don't know. It, it, everyone's talked about it. So what am I going to say that a thousand other people haven't already said? What am I going to say about this that someone's going to find interesting? And so I've always loved like the indie scene to know about something before everyone else does. It's kind of like a fun thing to do and to the most creative stuff you find is the indie stuff. I think it's true for, for most things. So that's, and just to echo what Taylor and, uh, and Lana had said about that too, is I think which you start to get comfortable and you start to say, oh, this is just what I do. This is what I enjoy. There's, and there's, reading takes time and you spend a lot of time reading. So if I'm going to spend my time reading, I'm going to read what I want to read and talk about what I enjoy. And if I find an audience, that's cool. But if not, then I'm not going to waste my time on books I don't enjoy just so I can be, you know, keep up with the crowd. I want to read what I want to read and I'm going to find stuff I love and I'll tell people about it. But it, it does come with just getting comfortable and just saying, this is just what I do. This is what I enjoy. This is how I want to spend my time. I do want to throw a question out following that because I think Lana, myself and Steve is all, have all expressed, like we do this for internal reasons. Like there's something we want to do. And I feel like, you know, P.L. and Zamil, you probably have the same feeling, right, for writing. There, there's something, like you said, that makes you want to do it. But we cannot deny that numbers are a thing, right? So it can feel like we've talked about this, I think, in previous chats, but like screaming into the void, <laughs> especially if you have like a small channel or an indie book, right? So um, my question for you guys is, I think everyone has hard days, like Anand talked about maybe deleting her channel and just focusing on the reading part, right? So 
my question to you guys is like when you have bad days or like you put a video for maybe for the booktube aspect or maybe for you guys a, a short story or something that you put your heart into and you're really proud of it but it's not getting feedback or you know youtube specifically lets you know when your current video is not doing as good as others like it puts it in your you can't avoid it there's like red everywhere down arrows like you know it just lets you know this is not doing well so I think everyone would be, I think people would be lying if they say they don't struggle with that. So my question is for you guys, when you have those moments, if you put your heart into something and just isn't hitting right with the world, essentially, what do you guys do to like help with that? I'll let Zemiel answer that first. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, we all... We all have expectations, and I think expectations vary wildly. So I might be sitting there one day thinking, oh, this is going to be a bestseller. I'm going to be Brandon Sanderson once I put this thing out. And then the next day I'll be like, man, no one is going to read this trash. You know, uh, I'll be lucky if like five people like this novel. So, so I flit between these two states. Uh, and sometimes I'm in between as well. Um, and it's very, very, you know, when, when you write something, to this day, I've never been sure what the reaction is going to be. Uh, whether it's a short story, a novel, a novella, I have no idea whether people are going to love this or hate it. Because I myself, as the writer, I can't judge the quality of my own work. It's literally impossible. Like, I, you know, I have no clue if if this book is good or not. Like the, the book I'm writing right now, I've read it maybe 30 times and I still have no idea if this is total trash or like a magnum opus to rival, you know, Michelangelo. Um, so when you actually publish what you've written and you put it out there, uh, it's it's absolutely, you know, nerve wracking and you're sitting there and you're waiting for the first reviews to come in, for the first feedback, for anyone to just say, yeah, that was pretty good. You know, I like that. That was that was nice. Five stars. You know, you're waiting for that. Um, and, you know, when, if, if it doesn't come, if it doesn't happen, if, if, it, if the end result is to the lower end of your expectation, then it's, it, frankly, it's disappointing and it hurts. And you know, you've put in so much effort and so much heart into that. And it feels like it's not being reciprocated. You're not getting back what you put in. It's a difficult thing. And every creative has to, you know, deal with that feeling and, and learn how to overcome that feeling so they can keep creating. And that's absolutely one of the biggest challenges. And I think it's just something that it hurts, you know, you're, you know, you'll, you'll mourn the loss of your dream in a sense, you're, and then you'll, you'll move on and you'll start writing again and, and you'll start looking toward the future to the next piece. And I think the key is not to remain stuck on, you know, that failure, if you want to call it that, not to remain stuck on that and to look toward the next project um, and be hopeful, basically. Very well said, Zemil. Um, I think for writers, 
test or to this question. I, I think we're all the same here, writers, booktubers, in that the problem with what we do is that so much of it relies on validation. And and we 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 decide inside we have this thing bursting to, to get out of us that makes us want to create a, 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 a booktube channel or makes us want to write a book. And we do it because we think we have something to say that other people would like to hear. We do it because we feel that we need to say it just for ourselves. And you're doing this thing that is partly for yourself and partly because you feel other people could perhaps benefit from it or would like to hear. And then it you don't get the, the reaction that you want. And, and that's hard because then you ultimately have to decide, well, why am I really doing this? And, and that's where I think the potentially the, the downside, the depression or the, the sadness can come in. And I know for me personally, my thing is always I'm less upset about um, a negative review than I am about somebody who, in my mind, didn't um, get the book. Um, you know, uh, and that for me is probably the thing that really gets me down. I've had really positive reviews where I feel that, you know, and and this is again the struggle where you write something, you put it out there, and we as writers, we've talked about this. I think Steve and I were talking about this Mark with Mark Timoney and um, and Thomas in the the podcast on Saturday that you write this book and you have a call to accountability for what you write. But once it's out there, it belongs to the reader. And it's the reader's interpretations. And like Zemil said, it, it has nothing to do with you anymore, almost. It's like you're this detached, disembodied thing that wrote this book. And someone else decides what your book is about, whether it's good or not. And, um, you know, that's been my, those are my bad days when, you know, someone may say, you know, okay, it was a great book and interesting battle scenes, a great role playing, blah, blah. But they missed, uh, or or at least didn't speak about, perhaps they 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 didn't miss it, but they they didn't address the things that I felt were really important with the book, which was addressing the the societal ills and the thing that the things that really drive me to write, you know, talking about, you know, homophobia and racism, colonialism and all these things. And 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 I've had to take a step back and and keep reminding myself that, well, if someone thought positive of your book, thought thought your prose was great or your battle scenes are great or you know, your world building is great. You know, isn't that enough? Like, isn't that enough that they even read the book? Because it's a privilege that they spent their hard-earned time and money, you know, on, on buying the book and reading it. But but then I may feel frustrated because, well, they didn't. I have to remind myself, but it's not it's not up to me. It, it's it's up to them um, what they get out of the book, and it's up to them to um, to like the book to the degree that they like it for the reasons they like it or not like it, and that's hard. And I'm still getting used to it. I, I still, it's it's still really. I'm still coping with that. And um, maybe one day it won't it won't matter. But right now, I think it really does. And and quickly, I just want to say the second part. You know, for all of us, I think we're we're at this stage where you know you guys talked about big booktube channels, and you know I think Zamil, not to speak for Zamil, but I think he'll say we're looking at big authors. You know you. And you you never you never feel that you're where you should be, in terms of your recognition and how widespread um, you know I, I guess acclaim is of, of your book and and that's great because it keeps you hungry it keeps you hustling to for continuous improvement but you know I just think well I'm still such a nobody in the writing game right and and I'm still so insignificant and you know but then I remind myself that you know but I remember where I was which was even more insignificant. 
And then there's people that, you know, I talk to, it's like, man, I would kill for your following and your reviews. And, and I'm like, me? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I'm, no, you know, I, and I'm looking at the John Gwynns of the world and the Brandon Sanderson's and the Evan Winters and the, the Ben Galleys and the, you know, the Michael Fletches. I'm going, you know, like, I'll, you know, I'll never be what they are. Right. And, and they're great people. And, but they, if you talk to them, they, they cope with the exact same thing. So, so, you know, it's, it's this, I think we all, writers, booktubers, we all have this imposter syndrome that we're, we're coping with, right? That, that it, it, it can be a real struggle. So. Hmm. So I'm going to catch up on a couple of comments really quick. Uh, Pax is at work, but wanted to pop in and say hello. Thanks, Pax, for dropping in. Of course, our friend Andres is here. Good, or I was going to say good morning, but it may not be morning where you are. Uh, author Joseph Caro is here. Yes, I am up early. It's five. It's five uh, thirty. <laughs> but but it is worth it is worth the uh, it is worth it. So uh, Hobbit Hole Books is here. Hey, Hobbit Hole Books, and uh, Chade is here. Good morning or good afternoon or good evening. Uh, and just as I noticed, I'm more interested in what some of the booktubers you mentioned have to say than reviewers at the New York Times. Uh, uh, perhaps because they're more open to genre literature. And uh, Raul is coming off his shift, I think. He's still working nights. Uh, it's bedtime for him, but I wanted to say hello. Uh, <laughs> Joseph says, my problem is I'm a gluten for punish. Uh, gluten, sorry. Gluten for punishment, it's early. So I, <laughs> if I start a book, I have to finish it. And uh, let's see. Uh, when I'm reading a book, it doesn't grab my interest and it slows me down. I put it aside for later. Maybe I'm not ready for it. Maybe it's the right puzzle piece two months later. This is an interesting one that I want to hear all of your opinions on on uh, DNFing books or when do you set a book down? Don't all go at once. Uh, when do I? So I used to be the same as our as Andreas here. I always point the wrong way. This is just going to be my brand. I'm going to do this instead. But um, I always do or used to do the same thing where I was like, well, if I've started it and I've invested two days into reading this book, I'm going to finish it, you know, <laughs> and it was no one telling me to do that besides myself. <laughs> so uh, why did I decide to do it? I would say I, I have a desire. I'm a completionist. So I like to just finish what I start. And so this is the same thing with sports, with weightlifting, with, with anything in my life. So I, I think that it has its place, but it became toxic for me, especially once I had a channel. Because, well, the Raven Boys is an example where I was like really pushing myself to finish something. Uh, so... When it comes to actually fully DNFing and saying, I'm not going to pick this up again, and then putting it down for now, I, I know this isn't scientific, but it's a vibe. It's just a vibe. <laughs> like when you're reading the book and you're like, I feel like I'm not clicking with this book. It's not the book's fault. If you get that vibe, then I'll put it aside. But if I have specific issues with the book, like this plot is driving me crazy, or I'm not meshing with the characters, and I know what my issue is, that issue is probably not going to change when I pick it back up. So it's more like if I have a nebulous issue with a book, then I'll put it down for later. But if I have a specific thing where this just isn't matching me, this isn't what I enjoy reading, then I'll actually put it down as a DNF. 
So, but that's a new development, I think, in the last year, because before that, I would make myself finish a book. And honestly, the negative consequences of that are not worth it because I would end up hating the book more than I would have if I just put it down. And it leads to, you know, more negative feelings towards it than maybe are warranted because I decided to push myself through it. So when I realized that I was creating more negative feelings by pushing through, that's when I decided to change my view and say, okay, maybe this just isn't for me. Um, so I think that my, it's, it's developed over the years, especially having a channel. For me, it's, I used to be like that. I used to push myself through reading um, when I first started because prior to that I had no problems being like, oh, this isn't for me or it's not for me right now and just put it aside. Maybe pick it up later, but maybe not. But when I started BookTube, that's when I was like, oh, I need to finish this. Um, and it is only this year that... I've started actually DNFing instead of just putting things aside. Um, but also in saying that I do know what I like. So that does help knowing yourself as a reader. Um, but yeah, I find it a lot easier to DNF. And when it does come to reviews, I find that I'm. it's easier for me to say why a book wasn't for me and why I didn't like it than it is for me to say why I loved a book weird as that is I find it so much easier to say this book wasn't for me because of this and when I love a book I'm just like eh, it's amazing I just like, want to add sure to that it's yeah. just me screaming when I love a book <laughs> like I have to really yeah. sit in and think about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah a hundred percent so yeah um yeah I just don't anymore I'm I'm quite happy to dnf or if it's if it is something that isn't for me happy to dnf but if it's something that's like triggered me when it wouldn't usually trigger me then i'll put it down and come back to it like um baker's oh, what's it called the first one in that trilogy i don't know but it, get, it got to a point and i was just like oh this is too dark for me right now like i just can't do it right is that now. r scott baker is yeah. that r scott baker okay the darkness of something it got to a point in that book where I was just like, I need to put this down and pick it up later. That was, that happened last year. I was just like, I just can't do this right now. I can't do it. And so that was like also a new thing for me to notice that and put a book down. Um, but yeah, it's, it all depends on the book, but usually I'm pretty good at DNFing nowadays. And I have a question for the authors here. Uh, Chadia says, I would like to buy more indie books than I do for Dutch authors, but I have noticed that a lot of indie books are only available in my country through Amazon, and I don't use Amazon. And I wondered, uh, Zimmerlin PL, if you can help us with this one, because I know Lana experiences this in, in Australia, not, you know, getting, it's harder to get books, they're more expensive. What, how does that, how does it all work in a nutshell? That, uh, you know, just how does that whole system work? Well, yeah. Um, hey, yeah, you know, it's funny. It's just so funny you said that. I actually had a Goodreads message from an, uh, a reader in Australia that was asking me about 
Amazon and getting my book on Amazon and outside of Amazon. And, and, you know, I think I've spoken about this with Steve privately and on podcasts and, and, you know, no disrespect to Amazon, but, but I am, as an indie writer, I am extremely frustrated by um, some of the big gatekeepers that we deal with, you know, traditionally published writers, my traditionally published writer friends deal with gatekeepers. And, but, but I think Zimiel, and I can't wait to hear what Zimiel has to say, but I think for we indie authors, a lot of us feel um, completely hamstrung by Amazon, um, you know, so, so um, I am fortunate in that I am self-published, assist published. So I have an indie press that uh, has their own bookstore that releases my book. So you can buy it there exclusively if you want it. You can, you know, you can buy it um, in any format there. And they also produce my audiobook for the first book. Um, and because I'm on the wider Ingram network, um, so that distribution network allows you to go with things like Barnes and Nobles and BookBub and all these other you know, worldwide platforms. But when it comes to Amazon specifically, um, yeah, like, like the, I mean, Amazon publishes something like, I think it's 60 or 70% of the world's books. And, and, you know, um, you know, soon they'll probably publish hundred percent as my theory um, that, you know, and, and I, and I, I feel, I feel bad in saying this, but to be honest with you, there, there's really no way around Amazon as in the new writer if you want to get the widespread readership, because, you know, um, and for a lot of people, until you publish on Amazon, you're not published even. So I, 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 I feel like, um, and it's becoming that way slowly, but surely as, as uh, physical bookstores, as, as the amount of physical bookstores actually shrink and, um, you know, that, that it's going to be harder and harder, um, to purchase a book if it's not on Amazon. Um, you know, and, and I, I guess um, the 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 positives, of course, are are Amazon's you know um, distribution, uh, you know, so widespread and and their scope the scope of their distribution. But yeah, I mean, um, as well, there's Amazon has all of its you know affiliates and subsidiaries, so it's not just one clearing bank. There's Amazon US, there's Amazon UK, there's Amazon Australia, there's Amazon Canada. So, and there's times when you can get a book on one of those platforms and you can't get it on the other five or six. And, and I'll be honest with you, as much as, or as little as I know about Amazon, I'm still figuring it out. Um, you know, and I think most authors are in the same boat that, you know, we spend so, so a big part of what we do as authors is navigating Amazon. And, and if you're going to put your book, having a book sale and, you know, and, and there's so many times when Amazon will discount your book and you have no control of it, or they'll, you know they'll 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 bundle your books and so it, it's I find it frustrating. Um, it's a it's an it's a necessary evil, I guess. Um, you know, but I say for me, if if you just buying books for me personally, my books, I sell author signed copies. You can email me directly. I'll email them all over the world. Um, you know, I, I I charge shipping obviously, and 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 that's I do that through my website. Um, you can buy my books on my indie. Uh, freeze and press on the freeze and press bookstore all over the world. Um, and of course you can buy it on Barnes and Nobles or BookBub or thanks to Ingram, any of those other platforms, but mainly, you know, the vast preponderance of people buy my book through Amazon because Amazon, you know, is where most people can get my book. So, um, you know, anyways, I'll, I'll let Zemil 
take over. I don't want to turn it into an Amazon rant. It's not quite fair. So, yeah, as authors, it's in our interest to offer our books as widely as possible to as many retailers as possible. However, Amazon is aware of this and they have a counter to this where they want us to be exclusive to Amazon and then they offer us things like inclusion into Kindle Unlimited. Uh, They offer us higher royalty rates and they offer us all these uh, extras for being exclusive to them. And all self-published authors have to weigh whether these extras are worth it or not. And the majority of fantasy authors that I know decide just to go exclusively with Amazon because Amazon is just such a massive, um, basically a monopoly, uh, more or less, over the book market. And that includes the ebook format. Uh, it includes the audiobook format. Now, with paperbacks, as a self-published author, you can make them available uh, even if you're exclusive to Amazon with eBooks and audiobooks. You can make the paperbacks available on Barnes and Nobles and on your own website and anywhere else that you want to make it available. Uh, so that is actually the only option that Amazon exclusive authors have. However, there is the added burden of having to buy an ISBN, for example, because Amazon provides you a free ISBN. So now you have to buy your own ISBN and that costs a couple hundred dollars. Uh, Then there's the added burden of having to uh, reformat your book for Ingram, for example, reformat the cover, reformat the interior design uh, for that channel. And so as an author, you have to ask yourself, is it worth it to do this? Uh, is, is the cost worth it in order to gain that small percent of readers that will order my paperback from Barnes & Noble or wherever else? Uh, because Barnes & Noble doesn't mean our book is appearing in stores. It just means our book is on the website. So how are they going to discover our book? Probably won't be very discoverable. Um, so basically, we're doing this so that people who don't like Amazon or don't want to support Amazon or order from there, have an option uh, to order it elsewhere. Um, so it's so me personally, I haven't even taken that step yet uh, because I haven't heard too many people express to me that I actually haven't heard anyone say that, can I get your book off of Amazon uh, because I will refuse to use Amazon. Otherwise, I just say, just get it from Amazon because that's the only place it it's currently available. Now in the future, um, I probably will make my books available at least in paperback format elsewhere. Um, but you know, that's, that's an undertaking that I would have to do and it takes time and resources and money. So, um, you know, that's, that's just the unfortunate way self-publishing is set up right now. Yeah, and I just want to add, for example, I so the biggest book distributor in Canada, physical bookstore, is is Chapters Indigo. So I had to basically sell myself to Chapters Indigo and say, hey, I would like you to carry my book essentially on consignment. And, you know, of course, I'm a nobody. So when I did convince them, 
um, they they agreed to take it in limited uh, limited stores. At, you know, Chapters Indigo has has you know hundreds of stores over Canada, so they put it in essentially a, a regional group in the, my area, and then you know I had to hope that it sold well enough so that the second book could be put there. So now, thankfully, it's so well enough that, you know, they are going to put the second book in Chapters of the Go. Um, uh, Zemil, I'm not sure if you if you put your book in Broken Binding. I think you have. Broken Binding, no? Okay, so Broken Binding is a very popular uh, story, a uh, uh, physical, well, online bookstore in, in the UK. A lot of the indie authors have gotten their books in there. Um, you know, and of course you have to, you know, go out and approach these stores and do that. So it's, you know, as an indie, you're always trying to find a platform and someone who will accept you, um, you know, uh, other than Amazon for a lot of us, because as Emil said, you know, I mean, for example, the thing going right now with Amazon with, you know, them allowing customers to return, you know, <laughs> you know ebooks, it's just like, it's, that's the stuff that, that, that drives us crazy, I think, right, as indie authors, that we have zero control over that, right? Um, you know, and in terms of royalties, you know, uh, for example, from my independent uh, book publisher, if you buy a book on Friesen Press, uh, a 35-ish dollar um, soft cover book, I'll get about $11 in royalties, right, from that sale. Um, on that same book from Amazon, I get about two bucks. <laughs> so... You know that's the disparity between between you know the royalties, for example, right? So, but again, with Amazon, you have this you know huge, humongous uh, scope and reach in terms of people all the world be able to buy your book. And while the royalties are, are, it's certainly disproportionately you know disadvantageous to the writer. Then you're looking at the whole volume thing, right? And 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 the awareness of because you're on Amazon, then more people potentially would buy your book. And that would down the road increase sales, and you know that's that's what you're hoping for, right? But um, you know, a, again, there's a, lo- a lack of control with Amazon. You, you know, they do what they want to do. If they want to bundle your audiobook for free with some other book for the next ten months, you have zero control of that. That's up to Amazon. You know, um, yeah, it's it's if they want, yeah, it, it, you you literally have zero control. Excuse me, <laughs> I, yes. was, I didn't know that. You have zero control over what Amazon does in terms of they might decide um, they're going to run an ad on your book. You know, normally the way um, Amazon works is that, you know, typically you have to have a certain amount of reviews till they automatically start marketing your book. Um, but they may decide, well, this book may have potential. We're going to flag it. And we decide to, you know, we're going to run an ad on it. And and that's great. You wouldn't know about it until like someone messages, hey, you do your your books. Your, there's an ad on John Keenan on Amazon. I was there, really? I said, I didn't think I had enough reviews for that. But it, it's it's all under control to the positive or negative, and that's the problem with dealing with these these mega, as Zamil said, these big monopolies that that you know they have billions and billions of dollars and 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 unchecked power essentially to do what they want to do with with your uh, with your your intellectual property. It, it, you know, it's that's the way it is, right? So this is so fascinating to me as a reader because especially a reader who doesn't have like English books at my fingertips. So I thought I did something when I discovered book depository, (laughs) but I did not do something because that is also Amazon, right? As most people know, as I have since discovered. So it's such a fascinating conversation because 
I find myself, I understand when people refuse, you know, to deal with Amazon. I really do. But there are, if you're in a situation, um, and I'm one of those, but there are various number of situations that may, you know, necessitate this. But for me, like, I can't get books that I want if it's not through Amazon. I just can't. Like, it's not a thing that I can do. And uh, when it comes to indie, I bought Kindle Unlimited for the indie books. So, but I, I didn't know that that was part of the, like, a exclusivity demand. I, I wasn't aware of that either. But that's something, like, when I bought Kindle Unlimited as a reader, uh, when I bought the subscription for it, I was like, oh, my God, all these books that I want, they're all here, right? So it was uh, something that was joyous to me. Uh, but it's really interesting to hear that what you guys have to give up to be able to have that, you know, accessibility. So it's it's not that I d assumed it was all, you know, rainbows and butterflies on your side, but I didn't realize exactly how strict that it could be. But also from a reader's perspective, and it sucks to say it, and maybe I'll regret this on the internet in the future, but I need Amazon right now. <laughs> like I just do in order to continue this hobby. So... I, I, I think can, this is a really interesting a, conversation full of nuance. I can give a counter perspective as well, because I don't want things, I don't want people to leave uh, this conversation too negative and too soured on Amazon because the indie marketplace didn't exist until Amazon created it. They're the ones who made indie authors discoverable in the first place. Uh, prior to this, we were basically, you know, trying to sell books like out of our garage, uh, you know, in the mall to your like neighbor or that, that was what indie publishing was. Uh, Amazon made indie authors as discoverable as trad published authors. So they would put the indie books next to the trad books in their store. And that gave them equal weight in terms of discoverability. And this is still the case with the Amazon store. And it's still not the case with things like Barnes & Noble, uh, or at least not to the same extent with things like Barnes & Noble, Apple, uh, Google Books. They don't promote indies as much as Amazon does. Now, I'm not saying this because Amazon is some virtuous uh, you know, a company. They did it because they recognized there was potential to make money themselves from indie books. And they were 100% correct. Because, you know, you have indie books that are hitting the number one spot on Amazon uh, regularly uh, across different genres. And Amazon recognized this potential and they mined it for what it was worth. So right now we're kind of in a situation where Amazon is trying to mine us more and more uh, to our detriment. So it started pretty good where the deal was much more fair and slowly it's getting worse as they, you know, now they're kind of forcing indie authors to use their advertising system in order to get discovered. Uh, they're kind of, you know, they've taken away some ways to get discovered organically. So now you have to pay them to advertise to get the same level of discoverability. So this is kind of the problem with the whole situation. Uh, and it's all because Amazon is a monopoly and they're the only ones really pushing indie books as hard as they are. Um, so, I mean, it would benefit all, all indie authors if Apple, uh, Google Books, Barnes and Nobles, 
if they kind of did the same thing and tried to push indie authors more. But the thing is, they're not quite doing that. They're still mostly reliant on traditional published books. So that's kind of the state that we're in. Um, and it, it is a struggle. And, you know, we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know what the market will look like in five years. But the trend hasn't been great. Yeah. And, and, and to echo what Zamil is saying, um, you know, so we have uh, indie authors, mega indie authors like the Will Whites of the world and the, the E.E. Reigns who, you know, Will writes a New York Times bestseller as an indie author, right? And so obviously it behooves Amazon to push his books over a lot of traditionally published authors that don't nearly sell as well. Um, the, the, the issue with the industry right now, and, and Zamil aptly put, is that Amazon has a monopoly now on not only traditionally published books, but indie books. And and indie authors feel extremely, um, you know, beholden to Amazon. And while that's great for our exposure, what's happened is that it, it almost also pits us against traditionally published books even more than, than ever before. And which is bad because, um, you know, we, we, I think, I think most of us would agree that um, you know, in the past, there was this uh, perception of indie books as being of lesser quality and, and not 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 in the same stratosphere as traditionally published books in terms of the editing and the reading and and the cover, etc. Now, I think that's really it. it it's it's really that that gap. The per, the perception of the gap is really disappearing, and I think a lot of and and as booktubers, you would answer this best. That I think, you know, I think you'd hard pressed to see the difference between an indie book. And if you just picked it up, if you didn't know that Orbit published this these days, you wouldn't know that it wasn't traditionally published, right? Because of the quality, right? Um, but but that said, and Steve and I, have, I've talked about this with Steve and, and I think all of you in another podcast, that Amazon is so powerful that if they so choose and if U.S. antitrust laws didn't stop them, they could essentially buy what's left of traditional publishing. They could just buy it. And that would be, you know, like us buying a car, right? Like it wouldn't be that expensive and if they did that then it becomes okay what is publishing going to look like and that's what scares me because right now it is getting harder and harder and harder to get a, a traditional book deal if that's what you want um, because the what's left of big five publishing they want a sure thing essentially so if you're not an ex-president and you're not a movie star and you're not already a really established author like the brandon sanders of the world you know how are you going to get that that big book deal that's going to launch your career? And even if you get it, most traditionally published books don't earn out. Uh, they don't get their contracts renewed, and and they 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 unfortunately a lot of those authors disappear. In as much as indie authors, a lot of them disappear. So I am concerned about where the industry is going specifically because of Amazon, because they have the financial clout to really just totally change the the game on that. And and they could essentially buy it with traditional publishing, and turn the industry into their plaything. Um, you know, so I I don't know where it's going. I don't know if that's good or bad for us. Um, you know, people like myself and Zemil, I think we just keep trying to write our books and hope that you know we can gain enough of a readership that you know when you're never going to be immune to the the to to what the what the industry does uh, from a, a business perspective. But you just hope that you know. Uh, your book is out there enough so that people will keep reading it regardless of the 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 medium through which it's published so 
you know, this could just be a pipe dream out of nowhere, but like, has everyone ever created or thought about like an indie subscription box? Like, is that, is that a thing that could be just because well, I recently did a video, like a discussion style video on my channel where I talked about book buying habits. And, you know, consumerism is a conversation we have in the booktube sphere quite a bit. So it wasn't really touching on the consumerism aspect. It was more, what do you prefer to read and why? And I mentioned in that video that subscription boxes haven't really been a thing for me because I'm not a fan of like knickknacks and like small things. But when it comes to purchasing like a special edition or maybe otherwise unavailable physical edition of a book. I'm 100% for that. But almost all, I just had this kind of light bulb moment while you were talking. Almost all of those are traditionally published books. So I wonder, does it exist or has it ever been thought of or is it even possible to do just like an exclusive, Not doesn't have to be exclusive, that's dramatic, but a version of you know, a self-published book, like monthly, because when it come, came to, you know, Gummit Gods, even, I read that through Kindle Unlimited. But just my reading habits is if I love a book, I buy it physically, <laughs> even though I have it as an ebook, which is redundant, but it's what I do. <laughs> so, you know, I like to have the physical book. And I realized through the comments on that video that a lot of people feel the same. Like a lot of readers will purchase a physical copy after knowing they love a book because they want to be able to show it. So like a subscription, like a physical subscription box of indie books would be really popular, I think. I have no idea what the implications of that are or what publishing houses would have to be involved, but I'm there and I know a lot of readers who would be there for that. Isn't Broken Binding doing something similar, although it's not just indie books, it's also trad books in their subscription box. Yeah, I think yeah, that, I just yeah. subscribed to that, actually. And uh, okay. <laughs> let me, I'll show you guys in a minute the state of this box when it arrived to my house. I don't know if it was Japanese shipping or UK shipping. Someone stomped on my book, I swear to God. Uh, oh, but no. It, it, it came oh, in no. with the spine a little bit twisted. Oh. But I think I, I think I can fix it. <laughs> but oh. the disrespect... But my, my point my point is that, yeah, I'm part of that. And you're exactly right. And that's why I subscribed, because it is just a book. And that's what kind of inspired my current thoughts, is if it was just indie published books, like if they did an indie version of that, specifically indie, would be amazing. But they're doing first law right now. So yeah. that's a yeah. brilliant idea, dear Taylor. That's a brilliant idea. I, 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 I it's a brilliant idea that I think is feasible. I just, you know, right now, um, I'd mentioned before about, you know, for me as indie having to, you know, beg on my knees to a major uh, bookstore to stock my books. I I wonder if, if there was an indie um, subscription, you would almost have to be funded independently, I think, of the traditionally the big five. I think you would need, you know, uh, a white knight type you you would need someone to um you know essentially like crowd like it had to be crowdfunded it would have to be outside i think of traditional publishing because there is no um there's no vested interest in traditional publishers to uh to promote indie books um we live in a world where 90 percent of the literary awards indie writers are excluded from in the world 
um, 90% of the, um, you know, the, the, the major advertising, the, it, it has nothing to do with indies. It's all traditional. If you're not, if you're not traditionally published, if you don't have an agent, you're excluded from so much. So I, I don't know if like, you know, um, some of the two of the major reviewers, um, probably, I guess, well, certainly in the United States and the world, Kirkus Reviews and, 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 and Clarion. And Clarion is supposed to be an indie, indie only really review shop. Um, even them, like, you, I, I think there's still that, I think globally, there's still that perception about indie books being, being lesser. And, and I don't know if, if you would have uh, all the important literary players behind it. It is a brilliant, what you, that is a brilliant idea that you come up with. I'm just wondering who, the who, like, I, I can't, like, I can't see, you know, the imprints of the big five going, yeah, you know what, we're gonna, because they're already struggling to get, get their own trad writers books out there. Um, you know, I, but it is a brilliant idea. I'd love to see it happen. So, you know, uh, yeah, it is a brilliant idea though. It's fascinating. That's, that's kind of why I put the question out there. Cause I don't have a who either. <laughs> I really don't, but it would just be, I, I know Steve raised his hand, you know, Alana would raise her hand. Like there would be I, absolutely a larger market than I think people realize for that. If there was a who, you know, I think it. this kind of thing could be done on Kickstarter uh, because Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter was pretty similar. It was this subscription box. Um, and the success of the Kickstarter would depend a lot on which books are in the subscription box and the clout and the following of those authors. Uh, because a lot of authors do Kickstarters now and they do them a lot of indie authors, I should say, and they do them because uh, you make more money from these Kickstarters than you do just publishing the book on Amazon. However, you do have to have a threshold of following. So like Will White, uh, during, during the time Brandon Sanderson was doing his Kickstarter, Will White did one, and I think he raised like uh, almost a million dollars um, from his Kickstarter. And a few other authors uh, that I know uh, Derek Allen Sidway, uh, AC Cobble, a, a bunch of these guys did Kickstarters and they'll raise, uh, Michael Sullivan also did one. I think that broke a hundred thousand dollars. You know, they'll raise a significant amount of money, but that's because these guys have been writing for, you know, most of these guys have been writing for quite a few years, quite a number of years, and they have a following and, you know, they are able to create these very high quality products. Um, you know, books full of illustrations with beautiful bindings. And these are like custom printed and, you know, they get them printed from, from these like, and they get them printed in a certain number. So they're taking on a risk. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a whole undertaking to do this and it does depend on uh, your following. If you, you know, that's the only way to get a Kickstarter funded. Uh, but if if you can pull it off, if if someone wants to do this idea and they've done the math so that it comes out profitable, and they they want to pull off something like this, it's it's doable. I mean, Brandon Sanderson raised forty million dollars, uh, but he he his his goal was one million, so the threshold is not so insanely high, to, I guess, to make this kind of thing profitable. But it is an undertaking. Um, I certainly don't have the time myself. So someone with a real passion for this idea would have to do it. 
I think if we had enough indie authors that had enough of a following, um, if we got them together, um, we could we could legitimately uh, legitimately do something like that. You would have to have, you know, uh, indie authors with a, a certain amount of sales that could garner a certain amount of of interest. And I think you'd need, you know, um, to have those indie authors driving that, um, especially ones that have had previous success with fundraising. And there's a lot of them out there. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of, uh, uh, there's that recent anthology going on right now with Virginia McLean. They, 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 uh, they sold out. I think they, they made their goal. It was, it was like record time. And then they already sold out the pre-orders and like, it's, it's, it's gonna, it's doing, going really well, but you need to have, um, a conglomerate of authors that those names, like, like if Will White, you know, wanted to do a kick, a Kickstarter, you know, someone like that, if he was involved, like, you know, you need the right people involved, but yeah, it could really work. Now Taylor's got my mind going, she's got my mind going about this, this thing. Like it's, it's a, it's a fabulous idea. Just, yeah, I just, it's the who, right? Like, um, but as Emil said, it is possible. Um, I did have one question for, for the bloggers and Steve included when it comes to this stuff, like, are you more inclined to like knowing what you know now, because for a lot of you, admittedly, and it, it's fabulous that you're doing this, like you're, you're really now starting to get into um, indie authors. Like it, it's now that you're starting to really, you know, read in the authors and, and appreciate what's out there. Do you think that there will come a point where, um, you know, most of your reading list is indie authors as I'm not saying that you should one way or another, because they're both, you know, we, we, as indie authors try to try to dispel the inequalities. We're all the same, like indie authors, trad authors. And in the, and in the author community, I think most of us feel we're all the same. Um, you know, like there's no, there's no hierarchy, but um, you know, I know for a lot of bloggers, I, I know bloggers that have friends and they're fantastic people, you know, they're friends of mine and, and they will, you know, almost like indies, you have, it's a rare indie book that they'll read. Uh, maybe they've had bad experiences, et cetera. But, but do you three feel like there's a point where your, your list could be, your reading, your TBR could be 50, 50. Like, do you think it's. You want to go first, Steve? I saw you. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. For me, it's not, it kind of connects to our previous conversation. So do I see a time where, you know, the quality of the books and the interest in the books could be 100% um, indie? Yes, absolutely. But part of this does come back to the previous conversation of the numbers suck, but they do exist. And so I think, and, and also, I mean, I don't want to just say it's just numbers. I like some traditionally published books a lot. So, you know, Bryn Sanderson has been mentioned quite a bit here, and I'm not saying he's the pinnacle. He is a, he has a very easily accessible writing style. So I think he's very, you know, prolific in that regard. But I really do enjoy his work. So would I not read his book because it's traditionally published? Not necessarily. So, and I don't think that's what you're trying to say. I'm just saying that, you know, for me, I think a 50-50 split is definitely possible because I really enjoy indie works and thanks to you know again previous discussion but kindle unlimited i have access to a lot of those works where i am there's no reason not to um i mean if you really care about numbers though you know uh, the 
um, some of the reviews that you do for for traditionally published works, even though a million people have talked about it, will get more views than a self-pub book no one knows about, which is not fair. <laughs> and if it's something that you enjoy and you want to talk about, I think most people will make that anyway. And I know Lana and myself and Steve do do anyway. But I do think that if you're talking about the future in general of BookTube, if you want to expand it, um, it might be harder if you care more about numbers, if you're like on the, the, the build, uh, because it is harder to catch, kind of catch the algorithm on its way up with a with a more, you know, self-publisher indie traditional, you know, indie video versus traditional published. So, I mean, we've talked about before that, you know, Lana's had, had this, I already did that. <sighs> Lana's had this, uh, you know, and Steve have had this on lock for a while. And I'm, I'm new to the game of trying to focus on that more on my channel, but I definitely would see it growing. 50-50 split was definitely something that I think has already kind of happened, to be honest. Um, I haven't made the videos about it, but this whole month has been, you know, me talking about indie books. <laughs> so, or me reading indie books and then in my vlogs talking about them. So the split has already occurred. So, um, but, you know, how that will expand to the whole community, I can't really speak for everyone, but that's where I am personally. What about you, Lana? For me, it's pretty close to a 50-50 split already. Um, and the thing that does swing that out to more traditionally published is only the book clubs that I'm involved in. And they're like, we're reading this, 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 and this. And they all happen to be traditionally published. So I'm like, okay, and that swings it. But most of my the books that I choose and that I put on my CBR each month are indie. It's because, I don't know, I just prefer it. <laughs> I, yeah, I just prefer indie. But that's like my little niche thing. And I have lots of, because I also have a blog as well, I'm not very active on it and I need to work on that. Um, but because I have a blog as well, I have a lot of indie publishers email me from there say or from goodreads saying i saw your winds of strife um like review on your website and i thought that you might be interested in my book because it's blah 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 blah, blah. and so i'm actually finding a lot of indie authors that way mm. um which is pretty cool especially when every so often i'm like hey i already have that on my like on my want to read tbr which is really cool um, but yeah, I would say the more, um, just sort of straying away from booktube, but I don't know if any of you guys are on, um, book talk, hmm. I would say there is a lot of room for We're too indie. old, Lana. We're too old for book talk. <laughs> look at this beard, look at this beard, Lana. It's all great. It's, we know. all, we all just go, yeah. no, no. I don't post content I just watch and fall down the rabbit hole but there are um a lot of romance like romance and romanticy I guess authors doing really well on that social platform and getting their books out and having like book talk influencers pick up their books and push them and are doing really well from them like the Zodiac Academy by Caroline Peckham and I can't remember the other author's name but they're doing really well because of book talk. 
and quite a few other authors. So I think there's a big um, sort of platform that could be used for like fantasy. I've seen, I'm in horror book talk now, which is cool. So I'm finding a lot more horror indie authors. Um, but yeah, I'm slowly finding my way through all of the, um, all of the other genres in indie books through book talk. So I've got like a, a little side playlist in on Goodreads saying TikTok made me do it. And it's like accumulating more and more books because of TikTok. So I think that is going to be the way because as booktube is going, I think booktok is going to be be the way that a lot of indie authors are getting out there. Hmm. With the youngins, at least. Myself not included no. in that demographic. <laughs> I just want to make sure I add to the comment. Like, so when I say we're too old, I mean like I have too many platforms where I don't think I could handle managing another platform. But <laughs> my dad messaged me and said, hey, do you have a TikTok? Because I've heard like you make money if you talk about books on TikTok. And I was like, OK, listen, <laughs> I don't know if I could do that right now. But what you're saying is absolutely true. And that's a really good point. So when I talked about will expand to the outer community, I guess I'm talking mm -hmm. about old hat booktube. So it's a really good point to make that. You know, I think, what was it? Ice Planet Barbarians? Like, completely just, like, alien smut indie books became traditionally pu published because of people talking mm -hmm. about it on BookTube, and people love it. So I think that's a really good point that Lana made. It is a new market for that. I think that, you know, if you're able to take advantage of these, like, new up-and-coming platforms uh, early on, that's like that's a huge advantage, and it's the same thing like with uh, trends in 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 fantasy. Uh, if you can hit like the trend at the right time, when it's like starting to explode, and a lot of that is luck, but that's a huge factor in success. Like I think right now, a lot of people are looking for cozy fantasy, so that's like an up and coming uh, subgenre that is starting to really get traction. Do you guys have any insight? Uh, I mean, of course you do since you're, since, you know, this is what you, do you have like um, any ideas what, what people right now are really looking for? Because I think, I think certain subgenres are kind of in the rear view mirror now, like Grimdark, for example, a lot of people are kind of getting over it to some extent. Uh, so what, what do you think are like the, the up and coming trends that people are looking for in fantasy. I'm going to pass this to Steve, but I just, the reaction when you said Grimdark is in the rear view mirror, he was like, excuse me. Like, <laughs> <"Gusentite."> <laughs> but I'll pass it. I'll pass it to Steve since I kind of talked over your turn before my apologies, but take it no. away. No problem. Uh, I, I don't pay attention to trends at all. I don't, I don't really, I just pick up what I want. Like I just pick up what I, what I think I'll enjoy because reading it, if it's a movie, then maybe I'd pay attention to trends a little bit more because it's a two-hour investment. But if I'm investing 10, 12, 13, 14 hours into a book, I'm going to read what I want to read and not what's, you know, like cozy fantasy. I, I get like the whole, I get the appeal, but I, I don't know. It's not for me. <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm interested in. So, yeah, but I, the whole TikTok thing is interesting. I, I just don't have, like, like uh, Taylor said, I just don't have time for another, I can't keep up with what I have now and uh, I just try to have my focus on one thing because in the whole TikTok thing, I just don't get it. But I don't know. It's not, again, it's not for me. 
not my cup of tea. Maybe I'm missing out on 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 some growth there, but I just it's a hard pass for me. But it's so hard to choose. Like it's uh, and obviously the book tours feel the same. It's so hard to choose, especially as an indie author, and you want to get your your book out there. It's so hard to choose where to invest your time, which platform. Like you know, my friends have been telling me for you know, the last year, Paul, you have to get on Reddit. You're not on Reddit. Like you, and I'm like, I, I want to, but I, I can, I don't have time. Like I, I, I don't know if every time I look at it, I'm like, it looks fantastic, but it just looks like this big, huge, a million wormholes that you can just, you know, get lost down. And, and, you know, I, you know, you name it, TikTok, I, all these there, you know, I find already that I'm oversaturated with social media. And I'm oversaturated, especially with through blogging and um, between blogging, trying to promote my own book and just generally talking to friends and family. And you, you just you feel, um, yeah, you feel you can't disconnect. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of um, a lot of writers burn out. Excuse me. It's 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 a lot of times I, I find now the burnouts you're seeing amongst writers specifically. I've seen several. Now, fairly prominent uh, indie writers, I need to take a break, I need to take a break. It's not because, you know, and sometimes, of course, it's something in their personal life, et cetera. But, you know, the people I talk to nowadays, a lot of it's because of social media. And and when I've ever felt on the edge of burnout, it's because I feel like I've just been inundated to a degree with, you know, and, and I love social media. I love the interaction. I love, you know, um, you know, being able to to, to meet new people and make genuine connections, and all that stuff. But it, it, there is a cost. And like I, you know, reading burnout is hard to avoid. I think Taylor, Taylor, you know, made an excellent point about DNF, DNF for books before. Like, you know, and as a blogger or a YouTuber, sometimes you feel that sense of obligation again to read certain books. And, you know, you know, I'm trying to to be very much more selective now because you know I don't want to burn out on that end either. But yeah, when it comes to these platforms, um, yeah, I just feel like I I love things like this where you know I can I can talk to people. I mean, I can't see you all in person, but you know, if we were sitting together in a bar or coffee shop, you know, we we'd be talking this way, right? We'd be doing the same thing. But this is the stuff I really enjoy that that connection. You know, I guess in a group or one-on-one with, you know, but I, and virtually, but I find myself, um, yeah, like having to pull back more and more from all these platforms as valuable as they could be to my brand and marketing. I just feel like, you know, sometimes this is too much. And, and the more I, the, the, the more I think about taking on more is the more I go, <laughs> you know, I, I, I gotta back away. So. Well, I think it's, um, I think another thing that, that, these platforms spend a lot of time and money and resources to make sure that they keep your eyeballs on their platform. They're built to keep your attention fixed on whatever it is that they're pushing towards you. So they want you to, to put your time in their time sinks as all these platforms are their time sinks that are built to manipulate. No, I don't want to manipulate because you're choosing to be there, but they're, they're they choose ways. They have methods to, to, uh, you know, to keep your attention for as most time, the most time as they can. And they have all these algorithms and all these scientists and all this stuff that they have to keep your eyeballs on their platform. So that's why I can't, because I, I just all end up, even with Twitter, even though I enjoy Twitter, I find myself scrolling and I'm like, why am I wasting my time? And then half the feed is people I don't even follow. Um, so it's like, I had to turn it off and just get back to reading or whatever it is I'm doing. 
but I do want to make a quick comment about reviews and getting the word out for indie authors. Whenever uh, we make a review and we tag you in the, and speaking to the author, uh, Zamil and uh, PL, whenever we like mention your book or review it or any, whenever you guys retweet it, that's a huge boost. So that's really important for, for those of us who built, who make videos and create content is whenever you guys boost that or just make it, you know, cause people who follow you will find that too. And then it's, it just starts to snowball. So that's huge for anyone out there. That's, um, that's an author that whatever someone makes a, a comment or of course, if someone makes something negative, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to, you're not going to boost a signal for something negative, but if it's a review or, or you're on a TBR or on a list of books that month or whatever it is, whenever you, whenever you boost that signal, it really helps out a ton. Well, thank you. I mean, you, I mean, you guys are the ones that are, that are boosting us and, and, you know, we, it would only be, I mean, we love to do it in turn. I'm sure Zamil will feels the same. Like, and, and I, but aside from that, you know, you three specifically, I know there's lots of great uh, YouTubers and book deals out there, but I, I lose hours to watching all three of your stuff. Like I've, I've, I've been deep diving on all your channels and, and, you know, and obviously most of your content has nothing to do with me, but it, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I just, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just blown away by, by the kind of things that you're putting out there. And I think I, you know, again, I'll say you guys are the unsung heroes of, of the writing community whereby, you know, um, I, I think, you know, when, when you, when you're willing to put yourself in front of a camera and you're not sure if people are, it's one thing if I put a book out there and nobody buys it, right. You know, there's not an actual, um, you know, I can always hide behind my cover, right. Most people don't know what I look like or, or how I sound or unless they watch something like this, but, but for you folks, you're, you're front and center, right. So, you know, I, I admire your courage and, and, you know, a big applause to that, that, you know, you guys are willing to put yourself out there and, and do that because, you know, I don't, it's not exactly for the faint of heart. So, you know, and, and you do it so well. So, but no, you, 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 you folks, you know, you, without, without booktubers and reviewers, you know, authors, you know, so much of our work would go unnoticed. So, so thank you. But what you put on your channels aside from, you know, just reviews is, is fantastic content. There's a lot out there. So I encourage anybody uh, who's out there, you know, I mean, um, following has nothing to do with it. And I, I, I hope you folks realize that, you, you know, your followings are definitely growing. You know, you guys are starting to really get up there. And and um, I think it was it was Steve. I haven't had time to, to, to look at it. Steve put a post on a couple of days ago about a new booktuber that just started. I, I'm sorry. I apologize. I can't remember the name. But but all three of you were obviously there at one point. Right. Just like, you know, at one point. Zumiel and I had no readers. So, you know, like, but I, I don't think you realize how how much all three of you are growing in popularity and and certainly certainly respect and, and acknowledgement. So, you know, hats off to you for, for that. Thank you. That's really sweet. Um yeah, I'm when you were talking about diving into the deep hole, I was just like, you're welcome. I post so regularly. <laughs> not very often it's not a very deep hole um and also what you were saying before steve about when authors like reshare your content like um zamil uh shared like retweeted um my review 
and I and then from him sharing that there are authors that I've read and been like I love that author or actually there are also a couple of authors that I've recently back to Kickstarter have read some of the books and kind of just fangirling they've since followed me because Zamil shared my review and I was just like oh, oh my gosh so yeah it 110 percent like when when you guys do that we get the warm and fuzzies instantly and then the butterfly effect from that and it just makes you want to keep going as well so thank you <laughs> I want to second that Thank you for everything you said, PL. But also, Zamil, when you retweeted mine, I did. I got the same thing. I got followers from indie authors. I was like, <gasps> you know, like I had a, I had a moment. Um, and at one point, I did a review of Rob J. Hayes' book, um, The War Eternal series. And he retweeted it. And I was like, one of my booktube friends sent me a private message because I don't get on Twitter that much. And um, But if I see a private message, I'll get on and she said, this, this review looks familiar. And I was like, oh my God, like just to have that moment made my whole day. So just to quadruple, triple that comment that just that little retweet button means the world to people like us, you know, but also just to go back to the original question, I think that Zamil had was like, what are people looking for? Um, when you say cozy fantasy, Speaking of Twitter and things, uh, I think it, maybe what you're referring to might be a Legends and Lattes. I don't remember the author's name right now, but that went off. And I was one of those people when he said, do you want, you know, a, a, an ARC version? I was like, me, 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 you know, immediately. And so I, I think that there is a market for that because us readers look to books as an escape world. And so Grimdark is its own escape in a different way. But I think, and, and I'm, I mean, I love Grimdark. I read, probably most of what I read is Grimdark. But um, I do think that there's a comfort in reading a book where no one's going to die. <laughs> and you're just like, I can just enjoy this moment. I can just enjoy this space. It's basically the market scene you get in all fantasy books where you get to introduce to the market, which is one of my favorite things ever. Some of your book, when that happened, I was like, Ooh, here's the market. Yay. You know, like, so it's basically that expanded for a whole book. And so I think people who are looking to, you know, have an escapism aspect to it are really enjoying cozy fantasy right now. Now, have I dived into it yet? No. Do I think I'm going to love it when I do? Yes. You know, so I do think that that's a trend. And then just to add to that, um, what do people want? We, I think we talked about this offline before, uh, but the idea of the unhinged woman is so popular right now, myself included. But if there's an unhinged woman in, in your book, people love it. Um, you know, and you've got plenty of that in Conqueror's Blood. But, you know, another good example of that is like the Grace of King series, like, the unhinged women's are untouchable in that series. And so I think if you want to ask what people are enjoying, I'm seeing so many people talk about those types of characters, like everywhere. <laughs> and uh, Andres has a comment really quickly. Uh, how do you get books and writers notice that constantly fall through the cracks that simply do not get any reviews and are overlooked? It's a good question. 
just to talk as much about it as you possibly can. And uh, like we mentioned, that having the author re retweet or other people boosts the signal and helps out a ton. But it is it is tough to um, to get the word out there. So it's nice when when we all help each other out and just boost each other's signals. It it goes a long way. That little retweet button doesn't cost anything. It takes not even a second to click that button, and it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. I mean, what what you folks do for for I mean, I'm looking at Steve's shelf right now, and my book's back there. And you know, I, I know Zamil's is on there there somewhere. And um, you know, I, I I you know I I watched one one of I I literally like you know you have that real like giddy moment. Um, I was watching one of Taylor's videos, like, oh my god, my my book's on there, <laughs> and and it it was just. It was, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, I, I, I can't even explain the feeling uh, when someone is boosting your book. Um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, especially when there's having it visually, it's just that much more of an impact um, that, that just go, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a blogger and written, you know, written form, but when someone has your book on a video and they can see the cover and your name is mentioned, it's just, you know, Zamil, I'm sure Jamil feels the same. I'll let him answer, but yeah, it is just um, it. It means so much, and I think um, the the one thing as well that when someone does that is you finally feel like your book is really out there in the wild. Beyond initial publication, is when you see it like it's almost like it's in lights. It's like you really feel your your book is 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 being seen by by a really big audience, right? When you, you know, even if it's just a five second flash of the cover and a five second comment and mention your name, it's just, it, it, it's bigger. As an author, it's like, it's that wow moment. So thank you, Taylor, for that. That, you know, that was uh, definitely one of my my highlights when, when that happened. So yeah, it means a lot. Andy Also just a response to that comment, if, Andreas, if you have any in particular, um, can you DM me on Twitter because I have a recommendations list um, for an upcoming readathon, and one of them is um, ties into that. So if you have any specific recommendations, please let me know. And Zamil, I think uh, I think you're about to turn to a pumpkin on us, so. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give one comment on uh, what Andres mentioned, um, and that is the importance, and this applies to all five of us, and that is the importance of algorithms. So on YouTube, the way your video gets recommended is through algorithms, and it's the same thing on Amazon. Uh, algorithms make a big difference on whether your content falls through the cracks and kind of disappears or whether it catches on and, you know, gains some notice and traction in the community. So uh, the thing about algorith algorithms is that uh, let's say someone does a review of your book and like a uh, hundred people watch it and maybe 10 of those people buy the book uh, as an example, the algorithm will be like, whoa, this book is getting interest from somewhere. So now maybe I should start promoting this book to other people on Amazon. And it's the same on YouTube. Like if 
a hundred people see the video on Twitter and they watch it and they like it and they recommend it, you know, then the YouTube algorithm will be like, whoa, I better start recommending this to more people. So, uh, so, you know, and the thing is that sometimes something will really catch fire. Like you hear about this. I'm sure you YouTubers hear about this all the time. Someone's channel out of nowhere will get like a hundred thousand views on some content. Whereas they had like 50 subscribers or something before that happened. And then all of a sudden they're, they're huge. So luck plays a huge role in this. And, you know, I watched, uh, I watched a video uh, by Veritasium where he said, you know, I, I made this thumbnail and it was just because of this thumbnail, which had like, you know, he went to this reservoir in California that was filled with these uh, black balls. I don't know if you guys have seen this video, but it's filled with these black balls that absorb the sunshine or something. And it was such like a crazy picture that everyone who saw that picture clicked on it. And just because of that one video, he got like a hundred million views. So it's kind of the same with books. Like you might have a cover or a title or just something that just everyone sees and they just click on it. And then they instantly want to buy this or watch this video. And it could be just a stroke of luck or just one decision that you made that causes it. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the world we're living in, whether no matter what kind of content you're creating, it's all dictated by, you know, these recommendation engines. Uh, so on that note, I do have to go. I, I have a doctor's appointment, uh, unfortunately, but it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you guys again. So um, it's an honor. Uh, it's an honor. Thank you guys so much. As Thank you. always, as always, Emil. It's a joy to talk. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Take See care, ya. Emil. Yes. So wonderful human being. Um, uh, sorry, before I let me, there's a question in there. I'll let Steve get to it before I. Oh, John said it, uh, and I actually read one of John's short stories on my podcast. But he says, uh, "When I like, I like when booktubers finish a book they hate. Nothing more entertaining than a rage-filled review. I actually don't do negative reviews. I just don't." Um, I know some people like to do it, but if I don't enjoy something, I'll just, I might mention it really quickly, just it's not for me kind of thing. But I, uh, I would hate for, for, especially in, because most of, mostly what I read is indie. So if I make a negative review, it can, cause I've had, a, I've had an author come to me into, or just through casual conversation told me that a, a booktuber that I know they have, I don't know, maybe 10,000 subs by now, maybe a little bit more. They made a three-star review on their book and he said that his sales tanked for the series after that, that it really made a huge difference. So I'm really careful with that too. Whenever I do make, whenever I do comment on a book I didn't enjoy, I like to pretend they're in the room with me. So I won't just sit there and say, oh, this book is trash. I hate this garbage. I'll just try to be respectful, but these are the reasons I didn't enjoy it. It's not for me, but it may be for you. Someone else may enjoy it. Just because I didn't enjoy it doesn't mean someone else uh, won't. So I'm curious what Taylor and Lana think about that, about uh, negative reviews or rage-filled reviews. I've only ever done one, and surprisingly, it's still getting, it's like in my top three videos every month, getting views. And it is like the one like rant review that I've ever done. Um, so I'm not opposed to doing them, but I just refuse to do them for indie because it doesn't help anyone. Um, and the book that I rant reviewed was also not a new release. Like it was like quite a bit older. It wasn't 
Like I just, there's, if I'm going to do a negative or um, like a soul negative review for one book, then I have like categories that it has to fit in for me to do it. And I also have to have wanted to really like it or liked most of it, but this just really wasn't for me or it frustrated me. And why did you do this author? It could have been great. But if it's just because the book wasn't for me, then I'm honestly not going to waste my time because there's only so many ways you can say the book wasn't for me. I was not its target audience. <laughs> yeah. So just writing off of what Lana said, my, I did um, the 20, you know, we do 2021 worst and best books or a lot of people in the community do. And my worst books video, which really wasn't that spicy, to be honest. I mean, I had opinions, but again, on, on like older books, um, that is still constantly getting views and it's one of the best videos I've ever done. So negative talk gets views. So I can see why people do it. Um, and I mentioned earlier in the stream that I just did a rant review for the Crescent City book, but kind of as Lana mentioned, there is a contextual, it's important to think of context of the book when you're doing that. So like, I'm not going to hurt Miss Sarah at all with my review. Like she's, she's good, you know? So when it comes to something like that, I feel like it's kind of, it's for, people say reviewers are for the readers. And I absolutely 100% believe that. Reviews are for readers, they're not for authors. But authors are also human, right? So for me, getting more into indie, I'm glad to hear the way that Steve and Lana handle it because it's new to me. But I feel like that's different. Because like I said, context matters. So if you're an indie author where, again, you're screaming into the void, Amazon's got you in a, a chokehold, you know, every review counts. So I want to handle that with more care than I would something like a Crescent City book, right? So that's something I definitely want to keep in mind. But also from a reader's perspective, and I also agree with this, many of us say, and, and will continue to say, that if all your reviews are good, I don't trust you as a reviewer. And I feel that. I definitely feel that. Because if you're like, everything is candy and rainbows and I love what I read. Like, like we've talked before also about a negative review can re recommend a book to you. Like if it's not, this is trash and I hate it. If it's a good negative review saying, I gave this four stars. Here's why. I don't like this trope. But then I watch that and I'm like, that's my favorite trope. I might pick that book up. So if it's a well thought out and not negative spirited, like a, like a full on, I hate this work of, you know, fiction or, or nonfiction, whatever. But if you, if you, if you don't have that spirit in the video, it can actually help sell books in my experience, because I've had that reaction to a negative review before. So, but when it comes to letting out your feelings, yeah, it's cathartic. Like <laughs> I had things to say, which will come out soon, but it felt good to say them. Um, but I will admit there is a, a contextual aspect to it that should be thought about. I think more than some reviewers do think about it. Yeah, I think uh, I think the closest one I've had to negative was the Faith from the Fallen series. I did a, a Luke, like a, I didn't trash it, but I just wasn't for me kind of thing. And uh, I, had, I had so much hate mail for that. <laughs> I got a lot of hate mail for that. But it's just, uh, you know, but I think that's a good point about if everything is positive, um, you, you don't trust the reviewer. So I, I did, I do try to be not rant and rave, but just, and 
another great point that you made, Taylor, is that when I see a negative review, like I'll go on Goodreads and read one-star reviews for books that I'm thinking about buying. And if it says, this book is too dark for me, I couldn't handle it, it's too violent. I didn't like the, I didn't like any of the characters. I'm like, bye, I'll, I'll read that. So, <laughs> so negative reviews, they, they do help, uh, you know, if when they're done respectfully, of course, they do really help out. Yeah, I, um, I, I definitely feel that. And as a blogger, I, and here I don't want to be a hypocrite because, you know, while I'm saying that there should be parody, you know, between indie trad authors and, and, and we're all the same and all that, um, there, there are some levels on which as, as you all hinted that we're not the same and, and kudos to you guys for, um, especially when you're, you take that into consideration when it comes to indie authors, because, you know, a traditionally published author with their publication houses, they might get to send out thousands of arcs and they'll have thousands and thousands of reviews on their books, right? Just by virtue of their, their, their publishers sending those arcs out and getting reviews back. Whereas an indie author in the lifetime of a book, if you have more than a hundred reviews, you're doing well, right? So, um, you know, I, I, and so in that case, we're not created equal. And obviously in saying that, one negative, like, and when I say negative, I mean mean spirited, like you said, not not a critique review, not assessing the book on it on its merits, but more, you know, I hate this book because it's I just hate it, it's bad, etc. You know, uh, those reviews can really uh, affect negatively impact uh, in the authors. So we really do appreciate when you, you know, I have no issue with someone giving my book a bad review. I hope that it's articulate and thoughtful in the criticisms, but. Uh, yes, of course, you know, and I appreciate that's just part of the game. We expect to get that. No book is for everybody. But I do really appreciate that, you know, and I, again, I don't want to sound hypocritical that, you know, you are taking into consideration that for indie authors, yes, it, it isn't, it, that aspect isn't a level playing field. And, um, you know, that parity is probably never going to be achieved because, again, you know, traditionally published authors have publicists that send, that they get thousands and thousands of arcs out there. And people are willing to uh, review their books at a at a rate and level that that's impossible for an indie author. I remember sending, uh, you know, my wife and I, my business party partner, sending out thousands of review requests for the initial book and only getting a handful. Right now, it's different. Now, now it's it's much different. But but at first, you're like, who are you? <laughs> Why would I want to review your book? So even just to get a review was was a struggle. Um, so um, yeah, it, unfortunately, that that. That disparity still exists and and it's and it's not the same when as, as Taylor pointed out Sarah J Moss her getting a one-star review out of her hundreds of thousands of review really is has zero impact on her on her career her day uh, for me it's it's or as Emil something like that it, it is a bit different so uh, but while we want to be uh, judged the same we expect our work to be valued the same yes those reviews do have a different impact on on Indian writers than they do on Trad. So I try never to, um, I will not give a review that's less than a three star. If I give a review and it's less than a three star, I will not give a rating. I will simply review the book and, and give a, a you know, a, a, you know, a, a synopsis somewhat of the plot and just my, perhaps some of my issues. I, I tend to like, my theory with writing reviews is that there would be an imbalance in terms of the, the positive feedbacks like this and the negative feedback is like this, right? I may have a line or two as to why it didn't work, but largely I like to make them as glowing as possible and highlight the positives of the books and accentuate those those positives. So that's that's just me. So 
Yeah, see, on like my book like on my booktube channel, I won't go into it. I will say it wasn't for me or this wasn't what this is what I didn't like about it, but then just skip right past it. But in a Goodreads review, I will say this is why I didn't like it. This is why I had a problem with it. Um, because like Taylor said, like I'm like even I've thought I like too many books. Like I don't even the ones that I'm like, oh, that wasn't really for me. I don't really talk about it on my channel. Um, so that's why I'm I think I'm more um well I not so much I'm more honest, but I go into more detail about like my thoughts and feelings on Goodreads as opposed to on my channel. I agree with that as well. I mean, I, when it comes to making a dedicated review, I didn't like this book. That's really rare on my channel. But on Goodreads, I will say I didn't like this book and I will say why. So it's really a different animal creating a whole video, like visual form content to express your dislike of something is a whole different level of effort from writing a review, which you do for every book. So you know, what sucks about, you know, Azumiel talking about the algorithm is the algorithm likes negativity. It really, really does, you know? So it's, it's just interesting where you, you make a video where you think, oh, this is like a normal video for me. I talked about a couple books I didn't like, but that's the one that will do well. And you're like, wait a minute, you know, I had talked about so many other things in this, in this video, you know, why, why is, or I talk about so many other things on my channel. Why is this the one? So it's really interesting as a creator because you have your own moral you know, compass that you want to stick to. And then there's what does well. So um, I don't know. It's, I wonder if that's going to shift as well. Like, I don't know if, if negativity always does well or if it's just a current trend. I'm not really sure. You know, I haven't been in the community long enough to know. Um, but something I've found just as a positive spin on this that has come from it is like discussion videos. So I really enjoy when someone takes negative feelings they may have had about a book and creates a discussion about it, you know? So I didn't like this, and this is why. Everyone else, what do you think about this? Instead of just being like, I hate this book. And I find that content so much more interesting, and it's inspired me. Like, I have a couple of discussion videos planned for my channel, but they take work. And I think that's why we don't see them so often, you know, because I have them planned, but I have more research I need to do. I got more things I need to read before I feel comfortable starting that discussion. Right. So I think while that is a really positive spin on this negative trend, turning it more into what do you think? It takes more work than saying, I hate this book. <laughs> so I don't think we see that as often. And a Kitty Hawk comment. Yeah, so I should just go with Amazon if I want indie books, if I can't get them from the author, because at least you get some money from that. I have never used Amazon ever. And I wondered, PL, what, how important is having your own website, having your own space? Because you want, uh, is that important for you? Is be, even without, even with uh, other platforms, is it important for you to have a dedicated site that people can find you and find links and you can post interviews or blogs or whatever is how important is that for you well for me it's everything because it's more about um people getting to know me and and who i am and the i guess my brand essentially 
Um, you know, on my website, I post a monthly blog. Um, I do author interviews called, called Six Elemental Interviews, where I ask creatives uh, six uh, questions about about their work, um, et cetera. And I, I also post almost every uh, media, uh, any media content I have. So this, this, uh, this, this wonderful um, podcast, uh, anything I've done with, with um, in terms of media interviews, podcasts, written interviews, uh, newspaper articles about me, it's all on my media page. Um, of course, I have, you know, links to all the books and I do have a, a, a buy direct from the author uh, links and as well links to Amazon and Goodreads and, and you know, all, all the platforms. Um, I think for most writers, yeah, it's very much, um, you know, I know that for me, it's not so much about, my website is so much about the selling uh, of the book itself, but more about, about the getting to know PL Stewart and what the brand is. Um, some authors, for example, sell a merchandise, like, you know, they would sell this stuff on their website. Uh, they'd have a store, um, you know, uh, they, there's some amazing authors that multi talent like Jenny Wirtz, um, she's a, an illustrator as well. You'll see samples of artwork, incredible stuff, like, you know, on her website. So I, I it is really important. Um, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to, to find an author nowadays in your traditional that doesn't have a website. Um, you know, because is, is that critical to to your brand and letting people know all about you? Um, I I prefer if I had a choice, I'd be doing um, you know podcasts every day rather than having you know like just somewhere where people can look generically and, and find out about. I'd like to talk to people about what I write and and who I am and what I do. But I, I think in in the virtual age, I don't think you can really really survive uh, without having a website uh, their website. In today's dating so that was something that you just reminded me about our previous discussion of different platforms youtube is long form podcasts are long form this is long form tiktok is short form and i think you know just pl the way you talked about wanting to talk to people and take a minute and discuss something i mean i just talked about discussion videos right like if if, if your style is taking a minute with someone you know i think not, not, not that it limits you in any way, shape or form, but there are platforms that you will prefer, you know, in that way. So it just, you reminded me, I had wanted to say that when we were talking about um, platforms. So, you know, it, whether you want to be the brand of your, your book series or not, I do think that there's a very big difference when it comes to, you know, because a 20 minute video on YouTube, not a big deal. I'm like, oh, this is a short one. 20 minute TikTok, what is this? <laughs> you know, so... I really think there's a big difference there. And also like just to sort of add on to what you're saying, PL, like the beauty of having a website is and people subscribing to like your newsletter is to actually have that data and actually be able to have those conversations with your readers and people that subscribe and want to get to know you. And you can have those conversations. And as a reader, to be able to hit to reply on a newsletter. I never used to subscribe to authors newsletters. I was like, what do I care? It doesn't matter. But the more that I read and the more authors that I get to know, um, the more I'm like, I just want to drop you a line to say, hey man, I like this. <laughs> like, It's like, and it's cool to be able to 
have the opportunity as a reader to start that conversation or even just like drop a line to say that was cool um so i think that's cool for both the reader and also for you as an author to be able to do that and i'm so glad that you have a website because i'm one of those people that if i have the opportunity to get a signed book i'm gonna go direct and buy a signed book as opposed to go to amazon <laughs> every well, time yeah well that that's appreciated when people do that but i guess on the flip side you run the risk like i I'm someone who's comfortable with putting myself out there and a lot of authors aren't. I totally understand that we're all different. So I'm, I'm, I'm in some ways very introverted, but I'm also in some ways very much a social animal. So I don't mind doing that. But for authors who, who aren't as comfortable, um, I don't want to say it, it can limit them. I, I, I guess it's in some ways, I mean, there's many authors that you'll never see them on the podcast, but man, they're selling a hell of a ton of books. And that's a testament to the quality of their writing and and whatever they've done marketing wise or people simply spreading the word for them but for me it's that's just who i am you know i i i remember i had a football coach that said you know if you're if you're willing to show people who you are and take that risk um you know then there's a far likelihood that there's a greater chance people will like you um you know if they get a chance to know you they can't know you if they can't like you if they don't know you. So, um, and I treat my writing the same way. You know, I, I, I take that chance to put it out there because, you know, a lot of people won't like it, but if anyone's going to like it, they, they won't be able to like it unless they, they see it. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't, with the website thing though, I just want to quickly say that, you know, it's kind of hit or miss, you know, I should, pay a lot more attention to, um, you know, my wife does as the business manager to data and hits and stuff like that. But really for me, as I said, it's more just about um, the brand and getting to know me like through like blogs and also a, a platform for me to promote other writers. I'm really big on promoting other writers and people in the writing community. So, you know, and doing things like this, like, you know, having uh, again, unsung heroes in the writing community, like, like, like bloggers and YouTubers on like, that's, that's what, turns my crank that's what gets me enthused right so um because uh again i i can i can speak so much more effectively marketing someone else's book or someone else's work than my own you know when you're doing your own you you feel very you know it's almost disingenuous that you're you know buy my book buy my book or my book is great like you know i'd much rather uh promote promote others you know i i really enjoy talking about other people's stuff even more than my own so um anyways yeah and, uh, I think you're getting some some gears turning, Taylor, with your subscription box idea. Um, what keeps the price down is when you can print locally. The moment you have high shipping costs, it limits the audience. That's what I was thinking to a shipping cost right now. I might be might want to hold off on that, but I I think that's a great idea. I think that's a really cool idea. Yeah, it is a great. I idea. mean, I, I I agree. Oh, I'm sorry, Biel. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I agree. I mean. <laughs> shipping boxes to here are you kidding me <laughs> like so i promised i would show you the book okay the or the box okay look look at this thing destroyed absolutely i'm gonna cover like the important information on the back but there's like holes all over this thing mm. it's horrible this is what it looked like when it arrived to me someone had also opened the packaging of the book itself ripped the packaging and then put the ribbon on like it didn't matter <laughs> i was like the disrespect so you know this is the 
the first subscription box I ever went for. And the one of the reasons I went for the Broken Binding is they have a universal like a uh, um, charge for international shipping. So if you're international, this is what you pay. Usually if it's based on where I live, I have the highest charge if it's from, you know, the, the powerhouses of English books. Right. So, uh, it, it's an interesting moment. <laughs> so I really hope this doesn't happen with the next book, but that was a really, really good point about shipping costs and just how it arrives because someone had a vendetta against, you know, the blade itself. They didn't want me to get it. <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> I feel a little bit. Of, I feel better now. How about whole book says? I think grimdark epic grimheart is an upcoming trend. A lot of books I've noticed are going that way. Grimdark with a slice of hope. So, so hope know. punk, right? Hope punk is is what I think the technical hope punk. Hope punk yeah, I didn't. I, it was a friend, a writer friend of mine that that coined that not coined it, but it was coined previous to that, but they, they, I first heard it from them and I don't know. And, and I, I don't know how you folks feel, but as much as I am anxious to read Travis Baldry's, uh, you know, the, the lattes book, I, I think I, I can appreciate, I think all types of book and all types of genres. And I, I, I'd love to read a book that's just filled with, you know, just pleasant, you know, pleasant day-to-day -day slice of life with, you know, not necessarily disembowelments and beheadings and, you know, magic people burning burned to the ground by magic that you know and, and I write that stuff but you know I, I certainly don't mind reading something different and I, I like I love romance I appreciate all kinds of books but I think you know this whole grimdart thing is I, I write and I said this before a friend of mine a writer friend of mine said what you write is more grimdark and I said first I was offended because I didn't I, I have this love-hate relationship with grimdark grimdark and I and I um I was like, I'm not grim. I know my writing is in grimdark, and and then I I sat down. I thought about it. Well, he's probably right. Um, but you know, I think what and it's interesting to hear what you folks would say. I think why grimdark is so compelling is that you know um, there's so much in life that is, is like grimdark. There's so much of real life, especially you know if you're you 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 look at today's news and it seems that way and. And although you would think, well, the first thing you want to do is escape from that, um, I think we're looking for um, some of the insights into that beyond just watching the news and going, why is this happening? And I think, I know that's why I write. I, I write that type of dark fantasy because more about, well, why is this happening? What are some of the, the, the things that propel this stuff or what's behind it? And, and what can we do perhaps to, you know, avoid it, mitigate it? cope with it um so i'm interested to hear you know i know steve obviously loves horror and and grimdark and and you know I, you know both i've seen videos from both both Lana and taylor about grimdark books that they love like what do you think it is that just makes people eat this stuff up like you know it's grimdark stuff for me it's like like you said it is very close to a lot of real world stuff when you're watching the news, there isn't someone that you can, like, get behind and back. You can't say, I am for this person, I am rooting for this person, or I just want to see what this person does um, and, like, see how their morality gets them, like, moves them forward in the plot of the book. Um, 
so for me it's like a, a way of I've actually never thought of this but I think it's just a way of sort of getting to experience that with with a bit of me in there because like what's happening around the world I literally can do nothing but watch there's no like anti-hero or just badass going like how forever that I can see and like yeah so I think that's why I like it because even though it is grim and it is dark I'm still there's always going to be like that one character that I'm rooting for no matter what happens yeah that's a good point um and and I think I probably feel that way without kind of I didn't realize I felt that way but I think you made a good point there with that um it is something I actually asked myself because there are several scenes like, you know, Shadow of the Gods behind me, there's a vicious scene, <laughs> a couple of very vicious scenes in that book. And I found myself like, I reread one of those scenes like twice. And I'm like, why am I rereading this specific? Like, why is this the scene that I'm rereading? And I think a lot of, I've talked to other readers who do that, you know, and we're like, okay, do we, what, why, what is it about violence? You know, like, why are we rereading this scene? And I think, a lot of it comes from the stark acceptance of what the worst of humanity can be. So we all kind of know it. Um, and I think all of us strive not to be that. Most of us strive not to be that. But to have a book acknowledge like this is something humanity is capable of. It's a lesson that you can internalize whenever you read the books. And whether the book ends happy or you the character you're rooting for ends up being terrible in the end, you know, Grimdark plays with those ideas. So I think it, it delves into the idea of gray characters, which I talked about before, which allow you to assess your own morality through this character. So Zamil's book did that with like all of the characters. I was like, wait, you, you have committed atrocities. And yet in this next scene, I see your point and it, it makes you self-reflect. So my guess is that even if, readers aren't doing it consciously, we are subconsciously, you know, being confronted with what humanity can do, and how far your morality stretches in, in what way. Um, and I think that's an exercise that's really important. So I think it's a subconscious and conscious act. But that would be my answer for that for why grimdark is just like this, you know, juggernaut that it is. What do you think, Steve? I think you're interesting points. I think for me, I, 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 this is something I've talked to horror authors about is what's the appeal of, of dark, of stories like this or of, you know, subjects like this. And I think it's the buffer between it being real and not, if I turn on the news, I know that's real and I can't, but if I'm reading a story about it, then I, it's there, it gives you that room to, uh, it's not, it's not so much of, this is happening. They can't do anything about it. It's you insert yourself in the story, and you can, you can question your own, uh, you know. And it, part of it is is almost like reading a history book, like a, like a, uh, a fictional history book, because what's happened in history is a lot worse than what's happened in a lot of a lot of these books. So, you know, if you want to look at grimdark, look at history. History is, 
what whatever's happened in any book, something worse has happened in history some at some point. So, uh, but I do like the books that make you question and make you wonder. Uh, just like Gunmetal Gods, there are some scenes in Gunmetal Gods that were tough to read. <laughs> but I'm sure what's you know, like I said, it's gives you that room to to you know, it's not it's not real. It's just a fictional story, and it it gives you that it gives you a chance to. Um, you know, question your own judgment and your own morality in some in some cases. I think, you know, you know, I don't talk a lot about what I do, but Steve knows I'm in law enforcement. And, you know, when I look at my job and I look at some of the things that I've seen and I look at um, the world and I watch the news like everyone else. <laughs> Andrew, um, Lana. Um, I think Grimdark is very much a, a reflection of, of life and sometimes with startling accuracy. And, and I think that for those of us who are trying to understand and interpret the world around us, current events and things like that, um, you could do it in almost the safe confines of a book, right? Um, you know, where you can, um, again, unfortunately, if something triggers you, you can close the book and stop reading. You can come back to it later. You can, you know, um, you know, but but although you can turn off the news, you can't turn off life and you can't get away from it and you can't get away from most of these things. And I know for me, especially with my job, there's been times in my life where I can't get away. I can't get it out of my head and it doesn't matter what I do. But when it's grimdark, it's selective. I can selectively choose to read or not. And I think that was my initial opposition to grimdark, Jolene, where I thought that it would be too much like reading what I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, and in some ways, there was a time where that was really fascinating, especially younger in my career, where I read mostly thrillers and mysteries and the same kind of stuff that I was dealing with. And then I think there was a time when I couldn't read that anymore, when the job got too, um, uh, got too much. Um, and then, I got back into fantasy and I, you know, I was more on that Travis Baldry, lighter, fluffier stuff at first. And then eventually I found my taste veering very much back into the dark sphere, just like the way I was into the, the psychological thrillers and, and mysteries and murder mysteries and police procedurals and things like that. And I think now because I'm older and I'm a lot more comfortable with myself and, and where I am in my life and my job and everything else, I think that's why I'm much more able to read things like Grimdark and I'm much, I embrace it much more and probably why I write it now. I think it's, there's a reason why I wrote so late in life because I was ready to embrace and write about those things. And I felt there was a distinct purpose to writing those things that it was really important to write about those things. Whereas, you know, when I was younger, there was maybe a morbid fascination, but also a desire to escape from those things. Um, so, but I kept straying back into them in one form or fashion or the other. So, and I think that's why, um, you know, what I read now is most of it is dark fantasy or grim dark. And, you know, I, I, you know, that's okay. I, I, but I am looking forward to reading uh, some of the lighter, the Travis Baldry type stuff. Yeah. And like, just on that, when I, cause I'm, I'm reading the Drowned Kingdom at the moment and I have had to like, forget that you wrote it because some of the, like the darkness, I'm just like, I just can't imagine Pierre writing this. He's like 
the sweetest human you'll ever meet. And then I'm reading this and I'm just like, okay, let's just pretend we don't know the author at all. Never met, don't know him from a bar of soap. Let's just pretend we don't know and then read. Because I'm like, how? What? Who? And then like I've had to start like I got I think I got like seven percent in and I was just like, no, okay, we're going to read this again and pretend we don't know who PL is. <laughs> I I haven't picked it up yet. It's it's behind me right here. It's ready. It's my next read after Legacy of the Bright Wash. It is primed. But <laughs> um I also like when I it's interesting because I feel like, you know, being the brand of your book can have such amazing, incredible you know, aspects to it. But another aspect is like Lana said, like if you write something dark, we're like, well, you know, the person that I know doesn't exude this, right? So you, there's a, an interesting relationship between the author and the book and it's can have so many positive aspects to it too. Don't get me wrong. That's not, I'm not saying it's negative, but I am prepared to do what Lana is doing and putting aside the person who has been just a wonderful friend thus far and being like, okay, this is the work, you know, that, that comes from this person. So it's really interesting. And, you know, indie is part of that, right? Because you get to know the authors. So just coming back to our previous conversations, this is new to me. Um, and I'm really thankful I have people to, to tell me how they handle it, but I'm really excited to get to it. But based on the, the back blurb, I'm ready for, I'm ready for pain. <laughs> I've prepared myself. <laughs> Well, and I'm honored. I, I had no idea you're reading, Lana. I'm honored. Thank you for, for, I'm honored, humbled, kind of blown away that you're reading my book. Um, all I can say is that, and, and I put a, I actually put a forward in book two after book one because of things that happened and responses and a lot of them positive and, you know, that um, I need to put forward to say, uh, you know, the, I can say this and I've said it on air before is that many of the things I've heard people, heard that peep that author and some of my characters say in a drunk king never have heard with my own ears or I've I've family members friends have experienced or I've seen people say on you know the media um that that it is very much unfortunately a slice of life with the 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 negative uh aspects of society I talk about you know homophobia racism you know misogyny religious intolerance colonialism those are things that are are that touch me deeply and that that's why i write about it and i write about it from the perspective of an extremely flawed character and um you know uh but it's actually the opposite of who who i am and i read about it and i said this on a previous podcast it was another episode of page chewing with steve and uh two of my dear friends writing friends holly tinsley and tim hardy that um, there's times in my life I felt very powerless to fight against injustice. And, um, you know, there's lots of reasons for that why I won't get into, but now, but, um, that comes out in what I write and that's, that's why I write from, from the perspective I do. So, but I'm humbled that you read my book. I've got a shock to kind of, that kind of threw me for a loop and, and I do hope you enjoy it. Um, you know, I know it's not for everybody, but, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think it's it's very much it's it's a flawed book, but it, it's come from a flawed person. But it's 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 mine. You know, I wrote it and 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 I'm 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 proud of it. So uh, but thank you for reading it. Take the time to read it. You're so welcome. And you should be proud. But yeah, like because I've read like heart like I've known and like briefly talked to other authors, but not had like the relationship that we do. 
like prior to reading their book so yeah it's 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 an ex it was like initially it was a shock but it's like an experience as well and I'm just so excited so so excited to to finish And uh, Voices from a Mausoleum has a comment. Uh, this conversation about having socials and websites is relevant across the board, and Taylor is dead on. Learning what parts of what you do and where they fit is super important. And I think something that a lot, something I, I try and remember with TikTok is that YouTube has shorts, the YouTube shorts thing. So you can do shorts, TikTok light videos on YouTube. And I've seen, I see a lot of those doing really well. So I'm not sure how that fits into the algorithm or if it hurts your numbers because they're so short, but it's there. Uh, I heard from uh, Jesse over on the bookish mom, who's also a wonderful booktuber. Please go check her out if you haven't those watching, but um, she's in digital marketing. Like that's her job. And so she made videos about like how to market and why to market. And she was saying that like new, whatever the new thing is on the platform, they're going to push it. So the new thing on YouTube is shorts. So if you're making shorts, they're going to push those things because they want people to engage with the new content they're putting out, mm -hmm. their new form of content. And that made so much sense to me because she's like, you know, even if you don't really know how to use it, most people don't like just try it because YouTube is going to push that. Or as Zamil said, I think, or no, you said, Steve, but before uh, Zamil left, they want you to look at what they're putting out. So the push notifications are going to be for shorts you know, like things like that. They really want you to see whatever their new platform or part of the platform is. So I just wanted to shout her out for that because she's the one that mentioned that. And I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Not that I've done the thing that makes sense yet. <laughs> I haven't made a short yet in my life, but the logic is absolutely there. <laughs> yeah. And also from the creator side, um, I don't know if it's still a thing, but when they first brought shorts out, YouTube made it so you could monetize shorts without your channel being monetized. There was like, yeah, as long as it wasn't like shared from another platform, it was original copyright issues weren't there, then, and like you had a certain amount of views, um, then you could get monetized just on shorts. I was like, what is this thing? I need to do it. And you know, I just knew it did. I amen, just, amen. Time gets away. You just don't do it. <laughs> I just want to say a quick um again, I I I am just so impressed and blown away by um the fact that three of you, you know, you do this without, you know, hope for remuneration or you know, you do it because you love it and because you care about readers and writing and getting the word out there and posting good content. Like I, it still just blows me away that you guys do that. Um, you know, and, and, you know, just hats off to you again. I want to, to just thank all three of you for, for doing that. And it's very altruistic uh, what you do. And, and I, and I, I don't know if, and I don't know the full scope because I don't do it, but, you know, I, I can't conceive of, of, of all the time and effort and money potentially that you, you put into doing this. So that's a big sacrifice. Uh, so, so thank you. And I, I, I know you all feel it's worth it because that's why you do it, but, uh, you know, like I said, I'm still, I'm very, very blown away, um, you know, by the fact that, that you're willing to do that uh, for all of us, because we all benefit. So, so thank you. Riding off of that, though, Steve, the amount of content you put out, <laughs> just have to, like, bro, how, how do you do it? <laughs> like, that's my main question. Like, I have no other way to put that question. But like, 
the podcast that you do where you read short stories, which we all talked about how soothing your voice is, angelic, wonderful short stories. Just like, <laughs> how do you, how? <laughs> because like, I know you're just as busy as I am. And this is the maximum I've got right now, <laughs> you know, like to film and edit and, and post and then tag the, the description box. It's all like at least five hours together. So I just, I want to ask you, <laughs> I guess the specific question is not just how do you do it, but like time, is it time prioritization? Like what's the key for how you're, you're putting out what you're putting out? Uh, well, I think the, uh, well, page chewing actually has been a blessing for me because I don't do any prep because I know that between people and I will, we'll find things to talk about and I'll have ideas in my head or questions, but I don't write anything down. I don't have much prep time. So these are actually fun for me. This is just more fun than it is feeling like I'm getting content out. So with the, uh, with the interviews, I spent a lot of time writing down questions and trying to get original stuff. And that takes time to do the, and to organize, to schedule it and all that takes a lot of time. The other ones, um, you know, the, the other stuff I do is I don't have, I, I give up on my other hobbies. I don't have any other hobbies anymore. So the time I used to spend on my bike or, um, doing other things, I don't have that time anymore. So I have to try but I've, I'm trying to be better this year about, um, allowing myself more time to do things that I like, you know, run more miles per week and all that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to be better about that, but, uh, stuff like page training really helps, but I, between reading and, uh, doing content, it's, it's a lot of my day is either reading or just thankfully uh, everyone here and and my family likes to read. So we all have like reading time. It's quiet. So that helps out. But I, I always think it's funny when people think that we do this for money, like we're somehow benefiting. It's like, I, this is just, I, I spend a lot of time. Bitch where? <laughs> and it's like, yes, take what I, my action and add that bitch where, <laughs> like, where's the money? <laughs> I, and people are like, well, you know, they think that we somehow benefit. It's like we do this for the love of reading and for things like this. We get to connect with people and not for, mon you know, to make any money. And even the people who are monetized, the ones I've talked to are like, I can go to like, I can go to a fast food joint and get a, a like a, a quick meal. Out. I'm not making, you know, no one's going to get, no one's going to be like this huge booktuber that can retire and just make videos. At least then that I know, maybe there are some, but. Uh, it takes a lot of time and, and effort to get there. So, but I think, uh, yeah, and it's like, we can only read so fast. So we, you know, there's a lot of, it's a lot of, it takes time. So, but I always, I always love that misconception that like, I'm somehow benefiting from this, that I do this, you know, all of us do this because we love it, not because we're somehow benefiting from it. Yeah. Just to make clear, like when I passed it to you, I'm in the same boat. Like I'm not, I'm not saying you're benefiting from it. When I say you're benefiting from the fruits of your labors, I mean something like this. This is due to you. You introduced yeah. us together. And when I say like, when we had that moment when you were like, do you want to do page chewing? I'm like, is that a question? You know, so you, you've created this group of people that I look forward to talking to for weeks. Like I told my husband, you know, I said, uh, he's at work right now, but I said, you know, I'm going to be doing, you know, an episode with the people I talked to before on your birthday. And he's like, oh, so you'll be talking offline for a couple hours, right? So maybe you'll still be online when I come home. And I was like, well, maybe, <laughs> you know, I, don't, I can't say for sure, but it's possible, you know? So when you say this is why we do what we do, it really is. It really is like 100%. 
Yeah, Steve, what you've done is amazing to give us uh, this platform, all the things that you do, all the content you post, as Taylor said, to echo Taylor, like, it's just, when I when I look at your your channel and all the different, you know, yeah, face chewing and your interviews, and as Taylor said, your short stories, and then, like, I, I have no idea how you do it. It's almost like there's a clone, and, you know, you have a few different Steves working on things, but... You know, again, hats off to you, brother, and and I'm I'm so grateful for you allowing me to come and and do something like this and be a, a co-host on on page chewing. And um, as for the group, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, as Taylor said, you know, my wife kind of made the same comment, like, you know, you really like these, you know, you have a lot of friends and all these people in the writing community, but this group that this little group, I said, I, I guess there's yeah, there's just you know of all the amazing groups of people that you know we all have our little groups and and segmented off and these people you talk to and you have your friends already community your friends outside and you know your family like there is just something special about when i think the five of us get together that i i i you know hasn't it's hard to replicate um and you know it just it's just you know that vibe that you know yeah i literally like you know i was up at like five o'clock i was like yeah yeah you know, this is this is the morning, right? I get to I get to talk to my my four peeps, and you know that that that's a you know it really is a special feeling. So, thanks, Steve, for for allowing that to happen because you know, yeah, it, it is it is it's an irreplaceable um, feeling when when I know I'm going to speak to the the four of you guys on online. It's it it really gets me stoked, um, you know, and that that's a testament to the people you are, right? How much I I I appreciate your friendship and enjoy talking to you also. Yeah, same. And when you first asked me to be a part of it as well, I was just like, what? <laughs> I was like, little old me, what, what do you want me? <laughs> but this is just like the whole experience. Every time we get together or even just in a chat is just amazing. I feel like it's weird because like in this community, there are so many amazing people, but there are, I'm in like lots of different groups that I just sort of lurk in. But this is one of those ones that it's just like whenever I open up Twitter and see that someone has posted in the chat, I'm just like, it, I don't know, it's relaxing. It's like coming home. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. So I don't know if anyone has anything further to, to say on this, but I want to say the chat thing. Are you guys interested in meeting my my diva of a pet? <laughs> You guys hadn't met him, Pretzel, yet, right? So there was interest ex expressed in the chat. Speaking of chat, so no. yes, I, please, I, I, I saw him on one of your. I saw him on two of your videos, him yeah. around your neck, and and the one post you made about someone wasn't feeling well, I think, and you. It was great to brighten their day. You you showed the picture of Pretzel, so yeah, I. I would love <laughs> if to. If you guys are interested, I can grab him before please, the end yeah. of the stream. You want me to? All right, I'll be right back. <laughs> Yeah, Pretzel is, uh, you know, is going to become a, a new member of the Avengers team, I think. Uh, you know, pretty. <laughs> it's a cute looking snake. And it also said, what I do with shorts is put a link to my longer videos in there. That's a good idea. That is very smart. Like in, um, yes, that comment right there. That's what I think. <laughs> Steve never um, sleeps. Yeah. And the and like when I edit or when I um, export things in Filmora, it says, do you want to do like a highlight, like a 60 second highlight? 
I have tried it and it is like it just automatically does it it's horrible and for me to like go through and edit like just 60 seconds of it and like the best bits um show me your ways because I, I don't know JR <laughs> And uh, Jonathan says, I use shorts to give quick shout outs to indie authors that I've read, but I also provide links in the description on the video to an editorial on that work. That's a great, great idea too. Yeah, shorts are, I guess, I remember when um, when I first made my trailer video for John Kingdom and, you know, I, I knew it was a bit long because all my friends came, were saying, don't make anything that's over, you know, 30 to 40 seconds long because it doesn't fit on, you know, most, most links. And, yeah, everybody's i know attention spans are short now and that's one of the reasons why i took oh it's a pretzel oh, <laughs> oh what a cutie he's, he's a sleepy boy sorry to cut you off i know you're in the middle of something but he's a sleepy boy right now he'll start moving soon but he's gotten pretty big let me see if i can unpretzel him from himself so he's gotten a bit oh. bigger hmm. <laughs> i i don't I know nothing about snakes there. So how old is Pretzel? Like how long do snakes live? Like so, oh, that's a really so he's a ball python. So let me just get that out there for those watching. So there are lots of different types of snakes, you know, some you should not handle, some you should. Ball pythons specifically are totally fine to handle. Uh we got him when he was a baby, not like a baby baby, but probably about three, four months old. So he's about a year now. And so he's grown a lot since then uh but he's a, a a male so he won't get as big as females uh he's probably going to grow for another year or two uh and then when it comes to how long he lives ball pythons are about 15 years uh commitment so 15 to 20 years if you take care of them well if they're healthy so um when i told my my mom in america that we got a snake she was like that's great. Not coming in my house though. <laughs> so I got to figure something out if we ever go to the States, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he's, he's, uh, not a baby, but probably a young adolescent at this point. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. Yeah. He's, um, this amazing. snakes have personalities. People don't believe that, but they really do. So he's super curious but he's not the brightest tool in the shed. <laughs> so he's really, he's, he's, he's not smart, but <laughs> um, really, really curious and he loves to explore. So we, um, we have what we call adventure mode for him. So when he wakes up, he'll start probably trying to climb on my head and what's this texture, what's that kind of thing. So excuse that <laughs> when it happens, but yeah, he's just uh I don't know what I would do without him, honestly. People, you know, I love dogs. I love cats. But people think snakes can't be comforting. They absolutely are. They really, really are. Hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful animal. 15 I, years. Right? 15 years. So what, like, what made you decide snakes specifically, like, to get a snake of all the pets that you, like, what was it about really, snakes? Really good question. Um. So the only person that this is a secret from is uh, the owner of this entire building <laughs> because uh, so people I know, I know people, okay, who, who mom's the word, <laughs> mom's the word. I know people who also have 
things in their house that are not human. Uh, but technically it's not allowed. So I'm a dog person, but there's no dogs need to be allowed. You know, you got to walk them and everything like that. But a snake would never, you'd never ever hear that one exists. And honestly, hello, <laughs> can I help you? <laughs> and honestly, they, um, they're really not high maintenance. That was the other choice that we made. So both of us are really, really busy right now. Uh, and so we can't walk a dog or, you know, take care of a cat the way it needs to be taken care of. But a snake, honestly, once you get their house right, they're easy to take care of. They need the proper humidity. They need the proper heat. Uh, otherwise they will die very quickly and very soon. But if you get that all right, you need to feed them once every like 10 days and they're cool otherwise. So if you have a type of snake that doesn't need to be handled, they'll just hang out forever in the, in the nice, you know, setup that you have for them. If you have a ball python or someone with his personality that likes to come out, um, you know, if you handle them, you know, every other day or something, you're good for about an hour. So the maintenance is really low if you have a good setup. Do you need like a license or anything? Because I know in Australia to have like a snake or a spider, like like a decent spider, like a tarantula or something, or like even a um, bearded dragon, you have to have a license. Do you need one over there? <laughs> well, I, feel, I feel like the things available in Australia might require a license, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, here, not at all. Um, ball pythons are available at, a pet, at any pet shop. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, a beginner, a beginner pet, I guess, when it comes to reptiles, cause they don't have poison, their teeth are small. They don't get big enough to harm you or anyone else. So, you know, as long as you have a good setup for them, they're pretty easy to, to buy. Also any pattern is available. So they get more expensive, but you can get pure white, pure black. You can get like speckled. You can get, there's one called a banana that's purple and yellow. Like any design you want, you can get in this type of snake. So they're really easy to buy and have, um, you know, in Japan, it's not really required. I also don't think it's really common in Japan um, to have them, but there's a couple shops spotted here and there. So those that love them, love them, but it's not popular so much which is a shame really <laughs> would any of you consider getting one or do you have just like a not for me kind of vibe with them or you, you know you, i vowed i'd never get another pet because um after we lost our our last dog like, it's just too heartbreaking like i just i i'm sorry yeah. I, I, yeah. I i couldn't take it like that that just destroyed me when 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 Maya died, uh, she was, you know, an older dog, and and you know, yeah, I I I don't think, you know, and and Deb and I say, okay, we're gonna live this, we're getting close to retirement, and we want to be able to take off and go go on vacation without worrying about a pet. But um, at the same time, um, you know, if you have a pet that's low maintenance, that you know, that maybe you can, you know, I mean, cats are pretty low maintenance for the most part. However, well, you know, cats they they love you when they love you, when they don't want anything to do with you, they, they want anything to do with you, but having had cats before, but, but now you've got me thinking, well, could we have something like a snake where, like you said, a bit lower maintenance, if you get everything right, like, would it be something that, you know, you, you could, if you had to go away for a while, like a couple of weeks or something, would it be okay if you had the right food left and 
all that, which I, I guess it depends on the snake. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So ball pythons need fresh water every day or two. So you would just need to ask like your neighbor's kid, like, can you just put a fresh water, you know, in here? And also with ball pythons, they don't strike often. So like, you know, they're, they're not aggressive snakes. So if you had someone who didn't like snakes, they could easily just like change the water and not be anywhere near the animal. So it's definitely manageable if you have something like this. Now, there are obviously more aggressive snakes that you would need special care if you go, but a ball python? zero issue if you had to go somewhere mm -hmm. hello <laughs> can i help you sir <laughs> i told you adventure mode he's just right up in your grill like <laughs> he's just like what is this he knows my smell so he's not scared of me he knows i it's a debate whether reptiles can love someone right so i think love is a dramatic word but i think you know they're not going to be like you're home like a a dog but he knows my smell and if he's with other people like if people come over and they hold him he's kind of antsy so he just knows this person this place is safe kind of thing so i don't think he'd go up in anyone's eye that he didn't know <laughs> but oh, wow no it's beautiful like that's that's it's mm. beautiful yeah wow. i don't think i could do a snake my mm. cousin has a snake and I'll like hold her cousin. Um, I'll hold her snake. Mm. But um, I'm more of like, I've always wanted a bearded dragon. Like always. They're so yeah. smart. They're so smart. <laughs> they chill one. Because the, um, the daycare that my kids went to when they were like younger had like three bearded dragons. And two of them were in the foyer when you walked in and they loved to be handled and they were just really chill. And so every day would go in and like would handle like these awesome as bearded dragons and they're just so soothing and so i was just like ever since then i've wanted one and i ended up with two cats <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have talked about snakes being like therapeutic in the sense that if they're a slow snake like him you don't have to think about anything you just like move with them maybe the bearded dragon is the same way when you say they're calming like I guess it depends on the reptile, but a lot of them move slow because they're not trying to use extra energy. So just like they move, you move. You like hang out together. You know, you you watch a movie together because they're not going anywhere. You know, it's it's really comforting. Hmm. I know you're like you have dogs, right, Steve? I think you you have yeah, dogs. Have, yes, quite, we have five dogs. Yeah. Oh, five! Oh my goodness! Wow! Oh my a, god! Wow! It's me. Just be a minute to process that number. Yeah, I can see you having something like a snake, though, like something like calm, like your personality, Steve, because you're so calm and you're so, you know, I can see you having something like that, like just kind of slithers around and just kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah, my my daughter wanted a bearded dragon, and then we, um, I forget where we found that we had, we were, we're a big fan of pugs, so we found a bunch of pug puppies, and she opted for the pug puppies instead, so we have a, a couple of pugs running around, and it's. I don't know who, who owns pugs or who's owned pugs, but that snorting noise is, it's, it's weird at first, but once you get used to it, it's, it, when it's not around, you miss the, the snorting and the, and the snoring and the, you know, the, I'm going to full disclosure. I've never gotten, I've never gotten the idea of pugs. Like I just haven't, but you know, the, the snorting was part of it, but I can understand, you know, if you get used to it, suddenly it's quiet, what's going on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they're funny dogs and i think every every time we lose a, a pet we always say well we're not going to buy a, 
depending uh, ever again, but then you remember all the good times, all the, you know, you remember the journey and the good times you had and the, and what, what they brought to your life, uh, when they were here. So it's, it's one of those things where is it, is the journey worth the pain of when they, when they pass? So that's the tough one. Yeah. It's so hard, man. Oh my gosh. It's just, oh man, you just, yeah, you, it's just, you realize that they just become, again, part of the families are so integral to, you know, everything, right. And you build so much around them and just like children, you know, I mean, you know, between Deb and I, we've raised seven children, but certainly with pets, the investment is, is the same, you know, monetarily and emotionally and, and otherwise. Right. So, you know, it's uh, yeah. So I don't know, at least for now we're saying no, but, you know, it's still kind of fresh, but we'll see what, what the future holds. But, um, you know, yeah, pets are, um, they do bring, as Steve said, a lot of joy into, you know, into your life. And I mean, you know, not like, not like, not like you can't have a full life without them, but just they, they do add something, um, you know, and I think, especially with things, with dogs, I mean, dogs are, I mean, dogs are just those creatures that, you know, that, that unconditional love, you know, they're always happy to see you. You know, they, 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 you know, you can, you know, um, you can have a, a fight or dispute with a friend or a family member or a spouse or a child or whatever, but dogs, <laughs> they just, you know, no matter what, right They they love you and, and, and they just want to be around you. Right. And there's, there's, there's nothing else that they really require. Feed them, pet them, love them. It's just, you know, one of those, those amazing creatures that, you know, um, but um, yeah. So me, who know, never know. Now I'm looking at, at uh now i'm looking at things differently <laughs> with with pretzel that me who knows i mean look i convinced my friend here she came over she handled pretzel and then when she left she was googling how to set up a snake house like she was ready wow. so i think it, it's not that pretzel has magic powers although he is adorable i do think that it's like people have a scary image of snakes which I was definitely part of, right? You have this idea of like a, a, like a cobra is dangerous. So it's not a bad image to have. Like if you, if you see a snake in the wild, don't go touch it. <laughs> you know, you don't know if it's got poison, what type it is, you know, that type of thing. But they're really not vicious creatures, it, truly. If you don't touch them, they're not going to bother you in the wild, right? And then if you have ones that are used to humans like this, they're, they're just, they're like, they're just noodles. They're noodles with a head, you know, and they just want to know what's going on, you know? <laughs> um, so I think, you know, I think that's why he's, he makes people interested because it's not what you would expect, you know? Well, if I ever, if we end up getting a snake, I can tell my wife, you don't blame Taylor. It's her fault. That <laughs> I accept it. She can send me hate mail and I'll write back <laughs> if I need to. <laughs> It's not a snake. It's just a noodle with the head. Yeah. It is. It's just yeah. a noodle. Like, why do you think that some of the more aggressive versions strike? It's all they have. It's all they have. You know, like if you scare a snake in the wild, what is it going to do? Scratch you? No. All it can do is bite, you know? Yeah. So, and this is called a ball python because, well, basically they're at the bottom of the food chain. They have no poison or anything. So when they're scared, they don't run away. They curl into a ball and hide their head. So if you scare them, they become a ball. So they won't, they definitely won't bite. But like, why do you, of course, that's why snakes bite. Like, what are they going to do? <laughs> you know? But yeah, even in the wild, like, because like in probably about 40 minutes from my house, um, 
in rainy season, brown snakes move from like the outer suburbs and like the bushland and they sort of come into like all of the housing areas and they're the most like deadliest snake in Australia. Like you have, I think it's like a minute and 18 seconds to get antidote if they bite you or you're, you're yikes, gone. yikes. Yeah. But if you see them, like my friend had one at her house because she like heard her dog barking and she was like, that's a weird bark. And she like moved something. There was a brown under there and she was like, oh my God. And she like grabbed her, um, grabbed her dog. But as soon as it, she like pulled it up, the brown snake was like, bye. <laughs> like gone. I'm out, right? Like, Women, ah! <laughs> well, they don't want to waste it on you. It takes time mm. to build up venom. They don't want to use it on someone they can't eat. Like, why would they do that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> practical. They're practical creatures, eh? Yeah, it's they funny. They really are. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to say about Australia. Like, I know Australia is a beautiful place, and I would love to see it one day. I, I know that for a lot of some of my friends are like, well, there's so many poisonous and deadly things there in Australia. And I'm like, yeah, but it's beautiful. And I guess if hopefully you can, you know, you don't bother them, they won't bother you. But, um, you know, it I remember really hearing out of sight, out of mind, because I'm from New Zealand. We have nothing that can kill you. It's like the safest, <laughs> yeah, the, the most dangerous thing is like a ram. That's it. And like even our spiders are like nothing. <laughs> we don't have anything that can kill you. It's like camping there is a dream. We don't have bears. We don't have coyote. We don't have anything like that. Like, our like deer are tame, like super super tame, and so like moving over here, I was so scared. I was the last of my family to move over because I was so scared, and I loved camping every summer. And so I was like, "What am I going to do without camping?" And I have still not gone camping. <laughs> I've been here for ten years. Oh my god! Oh. But other than that, like I've been like surfing, and we have lots of great whites we have box jellyfish we have it's out of sight out of mind and if you like do the see casual jelly, way you say lots of great whites like i'm trying to process yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> i'm over here like snakes are fine but then <laughs> but yeah, it's just out of sight out of mind and then if you hear someone yell shark or fin or you see like a jellyfish you just casually paddle back in <laughs> Well, if, I, if we I ever come to Australia, <laughs> we ever come to Australia, I'm asking you, Lan. Okay, do we go here because is it safe there? And you know, like, so I'll be calling and saying, Lana, like, you know, is it safe here? Like, can I? <laughs> like, just like, swim between the flags, you'll be fine. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I logically know that sharks are not that much of a danger, but my illogical brain cannot comprehend that fact. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. just too many yeah, James refuses to even go on the beach. He's like, people are stupid. You, Why would you go to the beach or go swimming in the ocean? Like, you can't get bit by a shark if you're not in the ocean. And so he just refuses. <laughs> yeah, well, I went you... uh, snorkeling in Bali, and I was so proud of myself. Snorkeling. Okay, I could still touch the bottom, but I was so proud. <laughs> you folks need to come to Barbados, just where I'm going to retire, where my mother's from. There's, there's no sharks. Well... I mean, there has been a shark attack there in centuries, and they, they do have uh, some jellyfish, not poisonous, but they can sting you. And um, but for the most part, it's a pretty 
safe, like, you know, non-poisonous steaks, like, like, like Lana was saying about New Zealand and, you know, it's pretty chill. So, you know, come down here, if you come down to Barbados, if you want to, a nice place to take the family and uh, vacation where there's not a lot of dangerous things that will kill you <laughs> while you're on vacation. So that's always a plus when you go on vacation, you come back alive. So, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. one, one of the things you hope to happen, right? Yeah, that you look for. Besides a nice beach and, you know, some rum and, and nice drinks, you know, it's, yeah, you, you'll come back alive usually. <laughs> well, this has gone away from books, hasn't it? And that was probably my fault. My apologies for that. <laughs> <laughs> we had to see pretzel yeah pretzel he's loving important. it he's just having a hello again yes can i help you he's having the time of his life so. that was a lot of uh a lot of questions oh yeah uh yeah, was, i was subscribed to everyone here and bought drawn kingdom because of this group oh wow oh, thank cool. you i'm so honored jared thanks yeah I, he posted that on twitter that he was he's gonna buy the other day so oh <laughs> you know i'll have to share it later but i'm assuming they're talking about pretzel but mm -hmm. they I, we put a santa hat on him and he didn't like that <laughs> he didn't like that at all like christmas we gotta, I gotta see that oh, yeah. i'll send you gotta some of those pictures you gotta <laughs> see the santa hat uh, says, i think snakes in general are not popular i don't mind snakes but i would never get a tarantula yeah yeah, I, you know, maybe I like snakes because they don't have any legs. If something has a lot of legs, I'm not with it. So spiders, <laughs> centipedes, or eyes. Uh, mm -mm. <laughs> or eyes, yeah. Two is good. Two is a good number. <laughs> Pretzel, noodle, the snake looks at you and says, am I a joke to you, lady? <laughs> you know, <laughs> warranted. Warranted. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, I, I don't I don't mind us getting sidetracked off of snakes because I think Prestel's cute as hell. So I think he's gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> so, so thanks for for bringing him out. I, uh, I yeah I I I did want to say about books. I know we you know we you know probably I was thinking about time because I look like oh my god two hours and forty five minutes. It's um, so easy. So yeah. easy to just get 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 uh, time get away. But but I did want to quickly say um, fit in this before we have to go about booktubers that. Um, you know, I, I, again, I said this on a previous podcast with, uh, with Steve and I, I, I thanked him for it. And I thank all booktubers for it, that for writers with the pandemic, you guys need to understand just how, just how much more crucial, how much more critical what you're doing has, has been to help us all in terms of, you know, because no book fairs, no live book conventions, you know, no nothing, everything virtual. So uh, one of the best ways to get your book uh, noticed and out there is if if a booktuber, um, you know, says something about it. And that's, it's even become more critical during. So thank you for that, because, you know, I, I think that pandemic has really changed the dynamic in terms of marketing books and especially being able to attend things in live. Like I just had my my book launch you know for for the last of the atlanteans of course i couldn't have one for a drought king that was all planned because of the pandemic i finally got to do it. it was an amazing experience but you know you guys have helped really uh fill that void that gap um that was left from the absence of book fairs and book conventions and book signings so thank you for that because it, it really has been a difference maker in terms of you know us getting us our books out there so steve lana and taylor thank you it's been a, been a big deal 
thank you. That means the world, <laughs> you know, it really, really does. That's the reason to make months more of content right there. Exactly what you just said. So truly, thank you. This <laughs> <laughs> one. So then Jonathan says, Maine doesn't have any of those dangerous creatures. It gets too cold for poison and snakes and no big spiders. Watch out for the moose crossings, though. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard moose can be pretty bad when they want to be. I'm moose terrified are of moose. Moose are deadly. Canada's got lots of them, and uh, especially in Quebec and the more northern regions, and and they will unfortunately they, they they cause a lot of fatalities. And and I mean, moose taking on car, moose usually wins. The moose may not survive, but you know you're you're lucky if you can walk away from a, a crash like that. So uh, yeah, moose are moose are deadly. So beautiful animals, though. Beautiful, beautiful animals. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I usually wear glasses. I think he's trying to climb on where my glasses usually are. He hangs out up here, so I think that's what he's trying to do. <laughs> Sorry, I lied to you. I don't have them on today. <laughs> Time always flies with this group. It's it just gets away from me. But um, I want to thank all of you for coming by to, to chat and, of course, for the pretzel sighting. It's always it's, it's great to see pretzel. And, he, uh, I'll take him out whenever you want. <laughs> we need to see those Santa, those Santa hats, those Santa hat pictures. We have to see those. So please share those with us because it'll be awesome. It shall be so, done. So, PL, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Uh, best place to find me is on Twitter, um, at P.L. Stewart Writes. Um, website's www.plstewart.com. Uh, um more less frequently on Facebook and, and Instagram, but as well it's at PL Stuart Writes. Um so but uh my preferred social media platform is Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open if you know to talk about writing or you know uh if you have inquiries about what I write about or you just want to talk about writing and fantasy. I I love engaging with people and making new friends and connections. So uh feel free to reach out to me. I'm you know good reads as well. Um you know I I'm on Goodreads a lot. So, yeah. And of course, um, I, I should always need to plug and remind people that Steve and I are both um, honored members of uh, the Amazing Before We Go blog, led by the incredible Beth Tabler. And thank you, Beth, for all you do. And shout out to Beth and uh, all other other blo amazing bloggers at Before We Go blog and my co-editor. Co I'm, I'm, I'm an assistant editor with Before We Go blog and my co-assistant editor, Brianna Schneider, and uh, everybody involved with Before We Go blog. Thank you. Um, mm. for also doing such great work and getting the word out there about creatives and their work. So, yeah, that's where you can find me. And Taylor, was the best place to find you? Uh, honestly, YouTube. <laughs> so at Maybe Between the Pages, which you can see below here. I am on Twitter, uh, not as frequently as I had planned to at the beginning, but, you know, DMs, as PL said, they are open. So if someone would like to send me a message that I'm open to that. Uh, but YouTube is definitely the platform to find me. Uh, I really enjoy engaging with people in the comments. It's like the bread and butter of what I do and I, and I love it. So um, also I do have, I haven't mentioned before in our lives, but I do have a business email of the same name made between the pages at gmail.com. So if there are indie writers or, you know, people who want to have a crack, you know, have me have a crack at their, their art, their work or their book, you can send me a message there. And that is also linked on my YouTube channel. So if you go there, go to the about tab, it is in, in my business inquiries area. So, um, I have had, thanks to Zamil 
uh, as well, uh, sharing my review. I have had people reach out to me there. Mm. So uh, that is also open. And yeah, I think that's probably the best. And Lana, do you want to tell us about the India Accords? Those are coming up, right? Yes. I'm so excited. Um, okay, so <laughs> <laughs> this July, we are doing round two of the India Accords, which is essentially a month-long readathon where we read nothing but indie and self-published books. Um, so it's just a celebration of them um there is a bingo prompt um a, a bingo board of nine prompts one of them is a free one oh, actually one of them is like to leave a review obviously we want you to leave a review for every book that you read um but it's team based it's a little different from last year um so we have your um literary historical fiction contemporary poetry team then you have your romance team you have the fantasy sci-fi team and then you have the horror thriller team mystery team which um steve has kindly accepted and said that he will be a part of um the horror and thriller team which i'm super excited about um <laughs> So yeah, that's happening um, starting the 1st of July in whichever time zone you are in, just to make life easier. Um, there will be two um, $30 gift vouchers up for grabs um, as well. And yeah, I'm just really excited. But yeah, the bingo prompts, I've written them all out. So I'm really excited to see what everyone thinks about them and Read some awesome indie. I'm going to be promoting the shit out of that. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, wow, Lena. Thank you so much. That is amazing. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for, for doing that for the indie community. That That's incredible. And thank you, Steve, for that's That's awesome. How could I say no to that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of my favorite time of the year. So I like plan everything from probably about like March onward for the India courts, like building up to it. So, hmm. yeah. Awesome. Where, where can people find more information about that, Lana, in the meantime? Do you have a place where people can go and look into it and see how it's structured and everything? Um, I, on Thursday, I'll actually be writing up the blog post. Cool. Um, and I'll probably, I'll leave a link to it in my like little link tree thing. Um, you can find me on Twitter at law underscore lullabies. Um, and law is L-O-R, like law. Um, and the same on Instagram. And it's law and lullabies on YouTube. And I think that's it. I also have a business um, email, which is law and lullabies at gmail.com, which you can also find me there. Awesome looking forward to it so it's always great when we were able to get together we're all over it's so it's so cool that we can just do this kind of thing we're all over the planet it's neat that we can do this so thanks everyone who came by to chat with us and interact with us in the chat and of course thanks to all everyone for showing up and of course pretzel for making an appearance as well <laughs>
That's why his name is Pretzel, because he pretzels himself. He always grabs himself. So you're witnessing the name currently. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next. We'll see you actually tonight at 7 p.m. Yes. For the, the next episode, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, Angela Board and uh, Crystal Matar, you know, two SBFBO finalists. Um, don't miss it. Fantastic. They write... Uh, Legacy of the Bright Wash, yes, the author of Legacy of the Bright Wash, which I think you're currently reading, Taylor. Yeah, she's going to be out tonight. And Angela Board, fantastic, a can fantasy I, romance. Finish in time? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. I, yeah, I love right. it. Um, Crystal, I was watching um, on the, what was it, the con that they did recently, and she described Legacy of the Bright Wash as grimdark romance. I love yes. that. <laughs> I I. I, I have to say that is that, that that's my book of the year, the previous year, mm-hmm. in, in, and in many people's. It is just phenomenal. Uh, mm-hmm. So highly recommended read. And Angela Board's Fortune Fool again, highly recommended read. Awesome. So Steve and I are pretty pretty jazzed about, about mm-hmm. that. Either, so. I'm jazzed about that. I think I'll be at work when it goes though. But um, just can you tell them that Lana is a fangirl of both of them, and I bought their Kickstarter. <laughs> They're doing oh, um, Alchemy of yes. Sorrow. Yes, the Alchemy of Sorrow. Yeah, that's big. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, that's big. So yeah, yeah. we will t- we will tell them. We'll pass yeah. it on. What, what time is it again? Seven p.m. Yes, yeah. it's in eleven hours. Six a.m. Six a.m. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. Steve and I just gonna, five, I'll do my best. Steve and I are just going to sleep this. We're just sleeping this weekend between podcasts. That's all it is. Like you know, <laughs> fun weekend. So yeah. much respect. Oh my god. It's been so much fun. Yeah. Well, oh, put two good. fan fangirl votes in there if we I can't will. make it. We will, oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. See you tonight. See you next time. Okay. Bye, Bye now.